picked herself. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. What a classic, great song by Joe Walsh. The theme song of the cult classic, The Warriors, and how things have come full circle from 1979 when this movie came out. And it was the same time that I started The Guardian Angels in February of 1979. The city was a hot mess. And the city, unfortunately, is moving into that abyss as we speak because of the crime. Uh, Just about finishing what will have been 24 hours of broadcasting from Friday through Saturday. And now Sunday, when I'll cap it off with the most listened to, most called into segments of the many that I do, the Animal Welfare Hour, featuring my beautiful wife, Animal Rescuer, Bar none, Nancy. And then I'll pass off the torch to the 50,000 powerful watts of sound to Dominic Carter as Musical Chairs is over. Pesach, um, Easter, it's all over except for the Eastern Orthodox. They had their Palm Sunday. They'll have their Easter next Sunday. And actually all of the uh, chocolate... uh, Chocolate bunnies will be half price in the supermarkets if Biden's inflation hasn't affected them within a week. But we're getting back on track here at WABC through the long holiday season. One thing, though, that has not slowed down is the crime. Although I enjoyed listening to not only Cousin Brucey on Saturday night, I was talking with him at length after his show. Two boys from Brooklyn as we were comparing notes. And it was really a great discussion of what we grew up with in the 60s and the 70s. And now what the uh, city is facing in 2022. And then to listen to Tony Orlando from 10 to 12. And he teased me as he teased all of you. I think he's coming up with an interview with Joe Walsh himself, Funk 49. Oh, oh, the very same Joe Walsh who wrote this cult classic song, In the City. Well, anyway, let's get right into it, ladies and gentlemen, as we get back on track. And yes, uh, Frank Morano back from his three-day soiree in Atlantic City, where he was uh, shooting dice, that's right, shooting craps, and believe it or not, actually teaching seminars to losers like himself, how to lose your money in craps, and somehow comparing it to a psychosexual experience. You don't want to go to sleep. You don't want to miss any of this. Although I can't talk directly to Frank any longer because I have the barrier who was Dominic Carter from 12 to 1. I will pass these questions off to Dominic 
who I hope will ask Frank, starting at 1 in the morning when he has his segment, ask Frank anything. I think Dominic could ask him on behalf of me. He'll be my surrogate. But right now, today was dominated with appearances by our mayor, Eric Adams, who has recovered from COVID-19. That's good. He's now back out into the public. Uh, and he uh, he was uh, accompanied by our brand-new police commissioner, Sewell. But last night, back-to-back, belly-to-belly. Now, this is the second Saturday Night Live open that had as its theme crime in the subways in New York City. You may have remembered over a month ago, the Guardian Angels were featured in the opening uh, skit. This was simply a... Eric Adams parody. In fact, you assess it because this uh, Thesmian, this actor, this comedian seems to have nailed our mayor down. His manifestations, his movements, his look, his style, everything about our mayor. Uh oh, it's me, Eric Adams. And don't adjust your television set. I am this handsome, you understand? <laughs> Spring is sprung, New York. And I'm also sprung, too, looking at all these baddies and sundresses. <laughs> nah, nah, I'm just playing, unless you like that. <laughs> but for real, this Easter, I got the best news of all New York. We got him. We got the shooter. Sure, y'all was in the suspect, turned himself in, but we got him. Case closed. Subway's fixed, ride without fear. And I'm not just holding a press conference about this either. I'm throwing a parade, y'all. Like we do when the Yankees win the World Series or when the Mets finish a season. <laughs> In conclusion, shooter caught, sexy back, violent crime way up. <laughs> Bitch, I'm from New York. It's Eric Adams. I run this town. But... Great bit. I don't know if our mayor, Eric Adams, appreciated the look, uh, but it was a great parody, a great parody of our mayor. And let's face it, the mayor was on a series of national TV programs today to address the ever-growing crime problem here that is stymieing our ability to fully recover. We are the largest city yet to recover to a point where we need to get back to, which was before the lockdown and pandemic of March of 2020. So uh, first question came from Stephanopoulos, who had both the mayor and the police commissioner on, and it was about the perception of fear. We have a safe subway system. Transit police officers, they have done their job. What we must do is remove the perception of fear. Cases like this aggravates the perception of fear. Uh, when you see homeless individuals with mental health issues not being attended to and given the proper services, that adds to the perception of fear. And so what our battle is in the subway system is fighting the perception of fear. Now, that was back on January 15th, and that was after the uh, 40-year-old Asian woman was thrown in front of a uh, downtown train at 42nd Street, Times Square, by that emotionally disturbed person uh, who was arrested that same day and has now uh, entered an insanity plea because he clearly was out of control, out of his mind. But it was interesting because two days later, the mayor at that point 
brand new to the office, decided that he couldn't say it was a perception of fear. It was the reality. And then, remember, he said he was afraid to go into the subway himself. Okay, so he got back to square one. And in the interim, between then and now, as uh, we move towards the summertime when crime always goes up, it's just a natural uh, situation that occurs. We have had a series of callers to this show uh, that have been a reflection of what people have told me and what I have seen for myself in the subways. There's been a complete lack of being able to see police officers. Uh, I just want to tell you, I took the train. Like, I didn't take the trains for a while because they were so bad. But when Mayor Adams said in February he was putting all these extra cops and removing all the homeless, I decided to go where I'm going. I take three trains there and three back. So I made 10 trips. That's 60 trains I've been on. And I look through all the stations as the train passes the station. I haven't seen one cop with 60 trains. Not even one, not even on J Street and Metro Tech, where I used to see, like last year, like four or five cops, like just standing around. Now, I haven't seen one cop with 60 trains, 10 trips. So where are the cops that he said, these extra cops? And I've also seen homeless people, maybe about 20 out of the 60 cars. I've seen 20 home. 20 homeless people. I think this guy is just like Biden. Like Biden says, I'm going to secure the border. I'm going to lower the gas. Adams is the same exact thing. I'm going to do this. I'm going to clean up the trains. I I think they're both the same, but I think it's a disgrace. Where are the cops on the train? Should I call 311 and make a complaint? I haven't seen one, not even one, with 60 trains. He's not alone. Although Eric Adams did declare himself to be the Biden of Brooklyn. But he was nuts, not one call. There are so many calls that I've had and other uh, talk show hosts and hostesses have had about the dearth, the lack of cops in the subways, on the subway platforms, and especially in the moving trains. But here is a, another caller who used the exact euphemism of our owner-operator, great talk show host in his own right, John Katsimatidis, when he asked, what the hell is going on? Playing off what that last caller said, I was a, I was a lieutenant in the police department, and the worst thing the city ever did was to disband the transit police. They were they were focused on the subway. They were highly motivated, and they knew their boundaries. And the sight of a cop, I remember being in the 80s, where even if I was just, I was a city cop, but if I took the subway down to court and the train opened at 42nd Street and I got on, the look of relief on people's face to see a uniformed cop with a stick in his hand was worth, was worth I'll take that look to my grave, that the, the look that the good guys are here and everything's going to be okay because it was crazy back then. And now I also understand that, uh, our former disgraced governor in fighting with our former disgraced mayor de Blasio. De Blasio didn't want to guard the turnstiles, so the governor hired MTA uh, state employees to guard the turnstiles, but they won't go on the tracks or the trains, but you can't even find them either. What the hell is going on? Wow. That's, that's become the battle cry around here. What the hell is going on? And that's from a former lieutenant in the old transit police department. He didn't see any cops. And he is correct. Uh, at the time, Andrew Cuomo, who was the uh, governor, had put aside in the MTA budget, MTA stands for Money Taking Agency, the hiring of 500 MTA cops that was specifically going to be assigned to the turnstiles to stop fair evasion, which has turned our system into a sieve. That means if you don't control the turnstiles, if you don't control the flow of people in and out, you lose control of the subway system. So in the aftermath 
of Frank James, who came onto that end train so early in the morning uh, to unload his uh, Glock. Again, a legal gun that he purchased in Ohio at a pawn shop because although he had been arrested in the past, he is a resident of New York City, but has been a traveling man. Arrested in New York City, arrested in New Jersey. None of them were major charges. They were misdemeanors. He was never charged with a felony. And so he was able to get a legal handgun in Ohio. He then ended up going to Philadelphia at an Airbnb. He rented the U-Haul van. And he worked his way into Brooklyn to eventually get in the morning uh, on Kings Highway, ride that uh, end train over to 36th Street. And by 8.30 in the morning when the train pulled in, he had released smoke canisters. He had put on his gas mask and he was firing randomly into that trapped crowd because he can't go from car to car in the end train. And his gun jammed. After his 33rd shot, lucky for everyone else within proximity to him. And he left whatever he had, and he went to basically on a 30-hour tour of New York City. This guy hit every tourist spot in New York City, and it turned out he was staying at a hostel right on 20th Street in Chelsea, right across from the 10th Precinct. And at one point, within the 30 hours, he was sitting on the stoop, staring at the precinct, as uniformed police officers were going in and out during shift change, and they had no idea who he was. He wasn't wearing the construction helmet any longer. He had discarded that, the orange vest. But he was the most wanted man in America who ended up going to Cat's Deli, ordering a pastrami sandwich. I mean, he was at Stromboli's, my favorite Italian pizza parlor, although it's run by Albanians now on First Avenue in St. Mark's Place, where I used to get a pie a day when I lived on Avenue A in St. Mark's across from Tompkins Square Park. Uh, and at 1 o'clock in the morning, he was talking to the customers, and guess what he wanted? He didn't want anything free. He didn't want any free food. He wanted to be able to charge his cell phone because guess what? He wanted to personally turn himself in. You think he wanted the reward money of $50,000? I don't know. This guy was such a kookalamunga. But anyway, today, uh, Mayor Eric Adams was on the national uh, shows talking about crime. And uh, when Stephanopoulos asked him about the local situation, he tried to turn it into a national situation. Mayor Adams, you promised to focus on crime in your campaign, but major crimes have continued to rise on your watch. How do you explain it? What more can be done? A national problem. Uh, you know, I say over and over again, there are many rivers that feed uh, the sea of violence. Uh, this is a national issue. It's not a red state, blue state. In fact, red states uh, experience a higher murder, murder rate uh, than uh, blue states. Uh, Tulsa is three times the murder rate of Los Angeles. Mississippi, K- Kentucky, Louisiana, uh, those are the highest murder rates in our entire country. Uh, I think the president has done an amazing job. The president has done an amazing job, not when it comes to law and order and supporting police. And I got to tell you, I have guardian angels in most of those states that he mentioned, and it is not comparable to what's happening in Chicago, Philadelphia, Baltimore, and right here in New York City. So the mayor did not answer the question directly. And then he started talking about, the Build the Back Better bill, I have no idea what that has to do with law enforcement and public safety, but he threw that in there. 
But you've heard the narrative beforehand about defunding the police. Let me tell you what the defunders of police are. Those are those who did not vote on the Build Back Better bill. Money was in that bill for uh, police officers. Now, we ourselves here in the city did not put back the billion dollars that was taken out of the budget, a budget of $100 billion. We did not put back the $1 billion that had been taken out of the police budget in the summer of 2020 at the time of the Floyd riots by Black Lives Matter and Antifa. Uh, City Council and Mayor de Blasio took a billion dollars out. They've never replaced that. And I don't know why the mayor is trying to spin that he would have been able to hire cops with the Build a Back Better bill. No. He had been offered money by President Joe Biden when he won the Democratic primary, went to Washington, had that meeting with so many others who were representing cities, and the president did the right thing. He said, look, I'll offer you cities uh, out of the stimulus bill monies to hire new cops, but you have to use it only to hire new cops. And Eric Adams said no, because de Blasio had said no twice before that. So let's set the record straight on that. And then our brand-new police commissioner, Sewell, started spinning spinning numbers. When, when, when cops start spinning numbers and politicians start spinning numbers, I get vertigo. Do we need a more robust police presence to convince people in New York City, actually around the country, that subways are safe? The subways have to be safe, and they will be safe. Since January, we enhanced patrols in the subway. We've done over 280,000 additional inspections by uniformed personnel in the subway system. Couple that with our subway safety task force. As it stands now, crime in the subway is actually below uh, pre-COVID numbers. What? Oh, I feel a lot a lot safer now than I did before pre-COVID numbers. What a spin. Just acknowledge it. You don't have enough cops. Eric Adams, our mayor, and brand new police commissioner, she will just say, we need more money to hire more cops. Bottom line, they don't have enough cops. Uh, there is a depletion taking place, early retirement, normal retirement. Uh, there are a lot of young men, young women who no longer are seeking police work. In fact, uh, Mayor Eric Adams, when he was at a uh, crime safety, public safety conference in Chicago about three weekends ago with uh, Mayor uh, Lightfoot, uh, who has her own recruitment problem, was saying they might have to drop standards to where you only have to be a high school graduate. They, They cannot recruit enough to fill the gap that's been created by early retirements, normal retirements, and the untold story, and I've seen the recruiters here myself, uh, you had Malone, who is the Suffolk County executive who hired Harrison, who is number three in the police department under de Blasio. He's now running the department out there. He took 70 guys and gals with him from the New York City Police Department because they make double the, mon- double the money uh, in salary and they have better benefits. Then you have Washington, D.C. here recruiting on a regular basis cops who are part of the NYPD and police stations all across the southeast because they know they're going to get a trained, professional, qualified police officer, possibly bilingual, and all the training would have been done in the streets and the subways in New York City. So, wow, they're really they're really getting a good bang for their dollars. So we're losing cops, and that's really the answer. we got to have more cops because we're not at a level that we need to be. But then our uh, mayor, Eric Adams, decided to shift the focus – In fact, to social networking, 
uh, and to the problems that he said could easily be recommended to law enforcement for further investigation based on, in this case, like Frank James, his uh, rantings on YouTube. And then we have to focus on a mental health issue that has been basically neglected for far too long. Okay, I get that. But let's go to one of the many Frank uh, James rants. And uh, I had to uh, watch them all. Boy, that was an ordeal. This guy definitely is a crackpot and a screwball. But when you watch a lot of his rantings, it's black versus white. It's black versus Asian. uh, It's uh, men versus women, regardless of their color. In many instances, he sounded like a bad version of Screwy Louis Farrakhan of the Nation of Islam. No different, really. But listen to this one. Now, this might have been the one video he did that was giving us a warning that it was beginning to go over the edge because prior to this, he never he never personally threatened a group of people. He never personally threatened an individual. But listen to what he had to say here as he was on his way from Ohio to Philadelphia to rent his Airbnb and eventually the U-Haul van that he used to come to Brooklyn. We are watching signs around us of those who are leaning toward violent actions and we are ignoring them. Why aren't we identifying these dangerous threats? Why aren't we being more more proactive wait, instead of waiting for this to happen? And you look at how we're using social media right now uh, to put threats out there carry out dangerous actions, and there are clear correlations between what's being posted and what's being carried out in our streets, in this case and in many other cases. Okay. All right. That may be appropriate. I don't know how you can do it. We have a First Amendment right of free speech. But I'm game for this. But now let's let's listen to the Frank James rant that might have put him on the cusp of what our mayor, Eric Adams, was warning us about. Well, yeah, just um, on the drive, man, I'm just, just, just uh, thinking because I'm heading back into the danger zone, so to speak. You know, um, and it's triggering a lot of negative thoughts, of course, because I do suffer, have a bad, severe case of post-traumatic stress after the s*** I've been through over the f***ing years, man. And just thinking about, you know, um, again, how fuck people are, you know, and, and, and the nerve, the nerve, especially of an N-word, to want to be somebody's judge. And there's no way, no how, anywhere is qualified to be anybody's judge. All right. He says he's going into the danger zone as he was on his way to from Ohio to Philadelphia. But I don't know if even if you used algorithms, you could find this to be somehow an indictment that he was going to hurt other people. Now, I'm listening to it and I'm thinking maybe he'll hurt himself. But I don't think there was anything that he had said in any of his crazy rantings on YouTube, as bizarre as some of them were, that would require law enforcement to visit his house or his residence or his place of work. Because the guy was working on a regular basis. He had a credit card. He was able to get an Airbnb. He was able to rent a U-Haul van. The guy was not on social assistance. He wasn't on welfare. He wasn't on uh, Social Security. No, 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 no. 
No, he was gainfully employed. Wasn't a very good employee, according to the record of many companies that he worked with as a machinist. But he was gainfully employed. And remember, he hadn't been arrested since 2007, never convicted of a felony, and qualified to purchase a gun, which he did, in a pawn shop in Ohio. Let's open up our phone lines, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. The answers, though, to the subway crime dilemma do not come from the spin that was done by our police commissioner, Sewell, to say that actually our crime stats in the subways now are better than they were during pre-COVID. That is not going to make anybody feel comfortable going into the subway. A answer actually came up in our 5 o'clock roundtable discussion uh, hosted Monday through Friday by John Katsimatidis. And he has uh, Democrats and Republicans who are part of the roundtable. And I'll call it the bipartisan suggestion that does make sense. Because, look, if there's one thing I know about the city of New York, it's the subways. How to police it, uh, how to navigate it, uh, how to avoid uh, having problems in the subways. Because I've been doing this since I was five years old, riding the subways on my own. What used to be the LL train, we called it the lousy line, last stop, Rockaway Parkway. Until the point in 1979, I started the Guardian Angels, and I've been patrolling the subways for 43 years. I know every nook, cranny, corner. I know the homeless in the subways, the emotionally disturbed. I probably know it as as, as well as any person who has anything to do with the system. And I'll tell you, the best suggestion came from our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, and former Governor David Patterson, who is my, uh, what can we call him since... Uh, he is the stepfather of my oldest son, Anthony, who does a podcast with me here. If you haven't heard it, you got to go to WABCRadio.com, Father and Son, Anthony and Curtis, along with all the other great podcasts uh, done by our hosts and hostesses, whether they're specialized or they're just a podcast of the exact program you're looking for. That's at WABCRadio.com. But he is my, what do we call him? Hmm. Yeah, my, we'll come up with that. But they both came up with a brilliant suggestion, and it can be done based on the analytics. There should be a uniformed transit police officer assigned to every station in the city. There are 472 stations, three shifts a day of transit cops, eight hours. You start uh, extrapolating from there. There are 6,200 subway cars that are in service during rush hour, obviously less in the off-peak hours. But you could have one uniformed transit police officer assigned to one train going up and down, walking up and down, which they don't do at all. They don't do it now. They haven't done it for a while. They need to resume that because that makes the riding public feel a lot better. And if there is a problem in, let's say, the next car or even from their own street smarts, they can look at somebody and kind of get a sense of maybe somebody's up to no good. So we'll call that the Katsimatidis Patterson solution to resolve subway crime. And it can be done. The analytics are there. There has to be the will and desire. And quite frankly, since the transit police are part of the NYPD, and it is the responsibility of the city to provide the security for the state-run MTA, we need more police. You can't take them from the streets because we have a crime problem in the streets. 
So if you take them from the streets, you have more shootings in the streets. If you flood the streets and take them from the subways, you have more crime in the subways. So it's like pushing pawns around on a chess table. We need more police. That has to be a driving, both at the federal level, the state level, and also at the city level. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Crime is a problem, not just here in the city, skyrocketing, but nearby in Philadelphia, down in Baltimore, D.C., out in Chi-Town, Chicago, out on the West Coast, Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, Los Angeles, almost wherever you go to a major urban area, there is an increase in all types of actions involving crime. And neither the federal governments or the state governments or the city governments seem to have a comprehensive plan to deal with it. Other than maybe depending on us as citizens. It's why it was motivated to start the Guardian Angels in 1979. It was somewhat similar circumstances, but I got called a vigilante. Okay, so maybe you don't want to get physically involved as I and the Guardian Angels do. Maybe you don't want to carry a gun if you legally can and do interventions, which would certainly help as occurs in a lot of states where you are able to uh, qualify for a carry permit. But what about if you're just a good citizen and you don't bend to the prevailing peer pressure that says snitches get stitches and end up in ditches, or I was uh, MYOB, minding my own business? Well, that certainly wasn't true of Zach, the Syrian immigrant on First Avenue, who uh, has been in our country five years. It would be ironic if he uh, was able to escape the bombing of Aleppo by the Russians to come to America. He speaks five languages. He's only 21, and he installs surveillance cameras. Like Maybe uh, because two-thirds of our surveillance cameras are not working in the subways. Two-thirds out of 10,000 cameras at 472 stations are not working. Maybe we should award Zach with the contract to do the installation and the constant maintenance to make sure that those cameras are working. Because it is kind of um, disturbing that Jose's bodega upstairs, a guy who just came from the Dominican Republic, has eight cameras. They're all working on his bodega. And we don't have only one-third of the cameras working in our subway system, and the MTA, the money-taking agency, will not explain why that is. But let's go to the hero of the moment, Zach, who I believe uh, really led the charge to bring Frank James to justice. My name is Zach. I was uh, working inside that store, and I was doing security cameras inside, and I see that guy, he walking from the screen. I see him from the cameras. So I thought, oh, this guy, let me call the police. And I call him, and we catch him. And so then Zach was parading up and down First Avenue. Now, I got to tell you, having lived there, lots of liberals, progressives, Democrats, Socialists of America, clones of AOC, all our crazy Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. It's not a law and order crowd. But they were cheering Zach on. And listen to what Zach and his fellow Syrian partner had to say. 
I see the police car police. We tell him this is the guy. About this is the guy. Uh, he did the problem in the Brooklyn. When we saw this guy, we were like between 70 to 80 percent sure. Is it him? Is it not? So we pull up the picture, the Amber Alert uh, on our phones. We saw the picture. So we confirmed it between the three of us. Oh, that's the guy. That's the hundred percent sure. That's him. So we were ready to call the uh, police. We saw the, uh, uh, the the two guys from the police department pulling up on the street. So we go and to them. We tell them, oh, he's he's like one block away. He's over there wearing a cap, carrying, uh, carrying his bag, and uh, going over there. We went with them, and they catch him right away. So what we learned from this um, trauma of Frank James, who so far has been a lone wolf, is that our security cameras and our subway systems were not working. The cops were not at 36th Street to begin with. They should have been assigned. It's a major junction point with three major lines running through it each and every day, morning, noon, and night, the D train, the N train, the R train. The firefighters responded quickly, and the MTA workers responded quickly. They were honored by our mayor at a city hall ceremony on Friday, I think it behooves uh, the mayor to honor Zach, who is one of the five people who have been designated to receive the $50,000 reward money. But, you know, there's one person who will never get a mention at a city hall ceremony, and I hope there are many upcoming because you had a lot of citizens who came out of that uh, train, dazed, out of that smoke-filled train where the shots had been fired, They didn't run. They stayed and gave triage to their fellow passengers who had been shot. They didn't panic. It was so good to see. This was this epitomized citizen involvement and the best mayor that ever uh, existed in my lifetime here in New York City, all 68 years. Michael Mbaricich, Rudy Giuliani, who on his show, the day of the shooting, repeated over and over the license plate number, the Arizona license plate number of the U-Haul van that the NYPD had put out an all-points bulletin on that they felt Frank James uh, had been in earlier that day. And it just so happens, as Rudy uh, was mentioning the full license plate number, one of the WABC listeners, a Rudy Giuliani listener, was drinking a cup of coffee right there at West 4th Street and King's Highway and said to his uh, maintenance partner, Oh, my God, that that's the van that Rudy's talking about. Immediately called the police. They cordoned off the area and obviously turned it into a crime scene. The New York Times acknowledged Rudy Giuliani and what he had done here at WABC. Uh, I think he needs to be acknowledged by the police commissioner and uh, the mayor and saying, look, look at this all comprehensive effort to bring this enemy of society to justice. Not only my friends. But let's face it, political foes like Rudy Giuliani. That was really good to see. High five to WABC, the 50,000 powerful watts of sound. High five to Rudy Giuliani for repeating that over and over. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Wally calling all the way from the hometown of Joe Namath, Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Wally. Hi, Curtis. Uh that's Steve from Manhattan. Boy, that was so weak, so lame. Oh, goodness. Sounded like he had been knocking back Jameson while he took my God. He's normally better than that. Oh, man. It's back. It's back to uh, method acting lessons for him. Uh, 
Let's go to Tom in Farmingdale. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tom. Hey, Curtis, great to talk to you. Thanks for all you've done for how many years, your service for the community. Uh, do you think Frank James gets a cuddly uh, reward money for calling in himself? You know, Tom, there is a fifth person that they haven't named. They named, uh, obviously, Zach, his fellow serious in, uh, Syrian worker. They installed the video cameras. There's a guy named Francisco. Turns out he's a Mexican. He's a manager of a hardware store there. He also reported it. He happens to be an illegal alien. He's now hoping uh, that the uh, Eric Adams administration will do an intervention on his behalf and maybe uh, fight for him to get a green card and a pathway to citizenship. Uh, I think, Tom, he deserved it for coming forward, don't you? Absolutely, yes. But, you know, but that's, I mean, that's three. You know, like that, definitely. Uh, two more things, Curtis. Yes. Lydia loves you. She owes a lot of her career to you, helping her start out. I've heard her talk about that. And I also like you mentioning... Uh, the Pontiac GTO is being the muscle car back in the day when you were pumping gas. Oh, and yeah. I, I it was not, not only the uh, muscle car then when I was pumping gas. During, remember, the oil crisis of 1972, 73, because we had assisted Israel in the Yom Kippur War where Anwar Sadat ran his uh, tanks through the Sinai. Uh, and uh, Halafez Assad ran his tanks uh, from Syria through the Golan Heights. It looked like Israel was going to be crushed. Uh, and then the Soviets were helping them with additional equipment. And Henry Kissinger said, oh, my God, I got to contact the president, Richard Nixon. And plane load after plane load of American supplies came to the rescue of the Israelis who were able to turn all of that around, defeat their Arab enemies once again. But the price that we paid was that the OPEC nations decided, really? Okay, let's see how you Americans function when, uh, function without any of our oil. And the prices skyrocketed. And remember, there were gas lines. I know I was pumping gas at that time. And you had to come on even, on even or an odd day based on your license plate number. Remember that? We didn't fold. We stood with Israel. The Arab nations were hoping we would reject Israel because the price of gasoline was skyrocketing and it was limited in terms of what was available. And remember, just the nature of a barrel of oil, people think, oh, it's all gasoline. Okay, yeah, there's diesel fuel, there's home heating fuel oil, there's kerosene. No, no, 50% of the petroleum is used for petroleum-related products like a uh, dashboard in your car that you're listening to now on your terrestrial radio. That's made out of petroleum products, your pen, pharmaceutical products. That's right, prescription drugs, some of it made out of petroleum products. There's a wide panoply of things that we take for granted that come from oil. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Uh, let's go, if we can, to Stefano, who's calling from Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Hey, Curtis. So, real quick, you know, I'm so tired of these people constantly bringing up the subject of mental illness, right? But it's funny how when we gave them the $850 million to do something about it, it disappeared and nobody's questioning the Thrive money. That's one. 
And two, if this guy really wanted to turn the corner when he got elected mayor and he really wanted to show the world that he wanted to make a difference and he was on the right side of things, the first thing he should have did was hire you as a consultant or in any kind of capacity that had to do with the security on trains or anything like that, because who's got more experience than you, buddy? Well, Stefano, I offered City Hall uh, to be able to act as a liaison free of charge, uh, not acting as a consultant or charging the money, uh, but to deal with the emotionally disturbed persons, because I would say out of all the things you just mentioned, that's the one thing that I'm most able to do. But in reference to Thrive, so interesting that you point that out, because over the course of five years, Mayor de Blasio and his wife, Charlene, ended up spending one and a quarter billion dollars of our money to deal with mental health issues, especially for those lost souls who are emotionally disturbed, who are roaming the streets, the subways, and the parks, and they have no help. I never once saw a Thrive worker out there doing an intervention. I have no idea what Thrive does. I haven't heard one success story of somebody who said, you know, I was uh, gripped by uh, deep depression and I spoke with a Thrive counselor. And as a result today, I'm gainfully employed. I'm raising my family. Uh, I'm not an emotional wreck. Haven't heard one of those stories. And the Democrats who are in charge clearly have not investigated where that money went. Now, Before Eric Adams was elected uh, mayor, uh, what Bill de Blasio did to keep Thrive going was he changed the name to Community Health Services, Mental Health Services. It is now housed in City Hall uh, instead of across the street uh, over on Center Street. Uh, And uh, it is run by uh, Mayor uh, Eric Adams. He has yet to have a commissioner in charge of it. And it's got a budget of $250 million. So it's got to be closed. It's got to be investigated. Uh, You know, Tish James, who's our attorney general, the moment you mentioned Trump, if you had Tourette's syndrome, you said Trump, 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 Trump. Oh, she'd want to investigate it. No attempt to investigate that. Uh, Our previous controller, Scott, Scott Stringer, would not investigate it. He had subpoena power. This one, Brad Lander, certainly won't do it. City Council President before, Corey Johnson, he had subpoena power, won't do it. There is one and a quarter billion dollars unaccounted for. Can't seem to get any spreadsheet to explain how it went to help with those who have severe mental health issues. And it is plaguing us today. We, the taxpayers, funded it, and yet there are no services It's like a a nightclub that had a bad reputation. Uh, They close it, and then they give it a new name, and they think all of a sudden the crowd is going to come. It never works like that. Let's go to Eddie in North Babylon. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Eddie. Hi, Curtis. Uh, It's not rocket science, even though I'm a nuclear medicine technologist. You look at this, and if it was a baseball game, we're not bringing the players to the field. And if you ask the police, you know, we need more guys out there on the street. You know that, right? Absolutely. In the subway. Eric said, you know, oh, it's just a um, it's a thing that people feel it's really safe. Well, guess what? Uh, wasn't he proved wrong by this? But it keeps on going on. Like you said, that is a major intersection right there. How many people, and you know, how many, how many trains, how many people? What, what's the preponderance of what happens there? And when you get a larger percentage flowing through there, Say crime is three percent. 
But now you have 300,000 people going there through a day or a week. You're going to have more stuff happen. Well, just to give you the logistics of it, Eddie, uh, on that stop, 36th Street, where the N, the R, and the D train converge, it's always crowded. Uh, upstairs, the fire department is four blocks away. They responded quickly. The 72nd Precinct is just four blocks away on 4th Avenue. They did not respond. There were no cops there. If you notice, all the video, and by the way, all the video you're watching on TV or that you're seeing uploaded on social media is the video that was taken by people, average everyday people with with camera capacity on their smartphones and iPhones. None of that video is from the surveillance cameras that have been installed in that station. And two-thirds of those uh, surveillance cameras in other stations around the city, 472 of them, are not working. I mean, that is the outrage that we have to be saying. You got to be kidding! A bodega surveillance camera works from immigrants who can't even speak English. They know, hey, we got to have the cameras uh, surveilling because of all the shoplifting, but not the MTA, Eddie. That is an I outrage. Say, I say, you and that guy Khan, the, the the guy that installs camera, you guys should have been elected. This wouldn't happen. <laughs> Oh, isn't he great? Wait, well, let me hear. Let me hear Zach yeah, again. Zach, for it. he's like a cheerleader oh, Zach, for people. Oh, Zach, get... yeah, Zach doesn't get credit. Yeah, no, no. I want Zach to get the keys to the city. If it can't be done tomorrow, I understand the mayor has just recovered from COVID nineteen. But, yeah, but give me that, Zach, huh? My name is Zach. I was uh, working inside that store, and I was doing security cameras inside. And I see the guy, he walking from the screen. I see him from the cameras. So I thought, oh, shit, this guy. Let me call the police. And I call him, and we catch him. We got him. It was so great. He's running up and down First Avenue. People are high-fiving him. Now, look, these are people who hate the cops. You know, Black Lives Matter people, Antifa people, people who want to defund the police, defund prison. I know. I lived right there on Avenue A, St. Mark's Place, right across from Tompkins Square Park. They hated me. But Zach, he was so euphoric. He had such great energy. That's the way, that's the way we take the city back. What he does. It's what he does for a living. You know, like you. He knew. He knew he was in the right place and he could sound off. Just like Rudy. Some, someone called him. Someone called Rudy because the, the U-Haul was parked in front of the guy's driveway. Yeah, yeah, and and that's because Rudy, to his credit, kept repeating the license plate number of that Arizona plate. He also reminded everyone, every U-Haul van has Arizona plates because they're all registered in uh, Arizona. That's great teamwork. We know they're not going to invite Rudy Giuliani to City Hall. We just not going to do that. Although, maybe we can find uh, the guy who was listening to WABC and Rudy and make sure that he's at least acknowledged uh, by City Hall. If not City Hall, uh, we got to try to do it here. I'm going into that neighborhood in Gravesend. I know everybody there. There are Russians. There are Ukrainians. There are Orthodox Jews. There are Chinese. By the way, it's one of the neighborhoods I won uh, in the vote count against Eric Adams, so I got some juice there. West 4th Street, Kings Highway, Gravesend. Mm. I think we can find them. Uh, by the way, if you happen to have seen it at that point, apparently he had a cup of coffee in his hand. He spilled the coffee. I'm sure he was so excited seeing the very license plate that Rudy Giuliani was describing on air. Let's go to Greg in Central Valley. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Greg. 
a uh, I know you're not a big fan of the money taking agency, but uh, isn't it time that the transit system be patrolled by the MTA police and not the New York City Police Department? Uh, just to uh, prevent what you say happens with cops just being moved from the street to d- down below, down below up to the street, make it. And I'm, I don't understand why it already isn't, but make the patrolling of the transit system the MTA's function, the MTA police's function task. Well, let me explain, Greg. The MTA does have its own police department, a state police department, and they basically guard property. So, for instance, all the yards that you see, the trains laid up, not just the subway trains, but MTA, other trains, Long Island Railroad, Metro North, they also uh, guard the uh, the rails to make sure that there is no vandalism. Uh, So they have a number of jobs. But right before the lockdown and the pandemic of March of 2020, then Governor Cuomo had said he wanted 500 MTA cops specially recruited and trained to guard the turnstiles because we are losing millions of dollars because of fair evasion. I'll stand uh, at a train station and I'll watch the Irish sweepstakes take place. You see not only teenagers, because, you know, teenagers, uh, they figure, hey, what do I care if I get arrested or I get a ticket? That's a badge of courage. Teenagers, adults, men in suits, women in dresses, they're going under the turnstile, over the turnstile, through the gate. And you know what happens when you go through the gate? Because there are no human beings around. But nobody even looks twice. So people accept the fact that fellow passengers are bogarting the fare, which means somebody's got to pay that. And ultimately, it's the taxpayer. So you see what's happening in Seattle. What's happened is there's such anarchy there now, and I know because I have guardian angels in Seattle, people come on the buses, and they just don't pay. They said, no, we ain't paying. <laughs> and it's eventually what we're moving towards. So they walk past the, the change box at the front? Yes, and remember, it's not like the old days of Ralph Cramden when he was the bus driver and it was his bus and he was law and order. He was like the deputy sheriff. They will not let bus drivers get out of their seat to challenge anyone, to question them. They tell them, leave it alone. There is more fair evasion, believe it or not, on buses in the Bronx, where people would expect it, but Staten Island. All along Highland Boulevard, I'm standing there one time. I'm seeing people getting on the bus. Highland and Seaview with all the wild turkeys running around. There are more wild turkeys there than people. And nobody paid. Nobody swiped the metro card. I said to the driver as he was waiting, because it was a red light, has anybody paid so far? He says, I have two paying customers, and this is my return route. Nobody paid the first time. You're going to... It can't subsidize itself if people aren't paying for the fare. So you're suggesting that the MTA police can't pick up the duties because the money's not there to fund. Well, no, no, I'm saying let's go back to what Andrew Cuomo said that he was going to do. But obviously, hey, look, the pandemic, the lockdown hit. It wasn't no longer the priority. I get it. But now that things are back to somewhat normalcy. We have to revisit that. And the MTA has to hire 500 state MTA cops specifically to guard the turnstiles, to write tickets, to do background checks. Because oftentimes when you're guarding the turnstiles, which prevents a lot of the riffraff from coming in and out of the station, 
you find out they have outstanding warrants. Sometimes you do uh, the stop, question, and frisk. They got a gun on them. You see, you got to be kidding. You jump to fail with a gun on? What a schmuck. What a putz you are. Oh, you know, I got it like that. Or you stop them. They haven't paid the fare. And they have on them a Philly roll, $100 on the outside and another 100 single dollars. And you said, you mean you couldn't take anything off your Philly roll? I didn't want to bust the Philly roll. Meantime, they're downstairs in the grocery store using the money they would have paid for to ride the subway in order to get some chips and a soda. And by the way, you always gauge how New York City was doing its subway system and its bus rides. A slice of pizza would pretty much equate to the cost of riding a subway or bus. And this is not because of Putin and inflation that Joe Biden is blaming on Putin. But it now costs more for a slice of pizza than a ride on the subway. First time in the history of our subway system that's older than a century is that the average price of a slice citywide is about $3.28 now. And a single swipe is $2.75. If you have the normal Metro card, obviously, if you buy one Metro card, they take an extra quarter. But it's still cheaper. It's still cheaper. The, the Metro card, one ride, then a slice of pizza. You think we could blame that on Vladimir Putin like Joe Biden does? All the inflation. It's flat. It's flat inflation. No, 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 no. It's shrink inflation. I was looking at some of the products that we bought for Easter. You know, for the house, not just for us, but for the 18 rescue cats that we have in a 328-square-foot apartment in the Upper West Side. You'll be hearing from my wife, the animal rescue expert, in our animal welfare segment. You don't want to miss it, the most listened to, most called-in segment of the many that I do over the weekend. And they shrunk the pet food. I looked at the pet food. I said, wait a second. There were more temptations in that bag the last time. I guess we blame that on Vladimir Putin, too. Not. Anyway, up next, wow, Zelensky versus Putin and the the troops that are hunkered down in Mariupol. To them, uh, they say it's going to be like their Alamo. It's going to be like their Thermopylae. You know, all the Greeks talk about how 300 Spartans held off thousands from King Xerxes uh, of the Persians. And then for the Jews, they will never forget Masada, the Jews, those who were resisting the Romans, holding them off at the fortress, and yet every one of them perished. Up next. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC.
this is number one with a bullet. The Billboard Top 40 in Russia. Everybody has to get up and dance because when they hear Putin, all got to get up and dance. If you've ever been to Moscow, like I have, ladies and gentlemen, they have the seven towers of Stalin. Uh, Stalin built those seven towers, and there was nothing going on in them. They were like basically, uh, they could have been turned into storage uh, container bins. And then all of a sudden, uh, when uh, Glasnost and Perestroika took place as Gorbachev uh, helped take down the wall, and then Boris <gasps> Yeltsin took over, and the oligarchs took everything that they could get their greedy hands on. But there was some sense of freedom. That's when I was there. They turned the seven towers of Stalin into casinos and discos. And I mean, they had some great disco music. It was like you thought that you were at Saturday Night Fever. They all wanted to imitate what they thought Americans were in the disco era. You know, they had the platform shoes. They had the polyester waffle weave flame retardant shirts. And they had the bell-bottom uh, pants. Now, they were members of uh, Russian organized crime. But the place was jumping. Casinos. I, I could... Oh, that's why you're not going to want to miss Frank Morano coming up to tell us what it was like. His three-day extravaganza shooting craps uh, at the Borgata in Atlantic City. Shilling for all of the gaming interests in Atlantic City, shame, shame, and saying we shouldn't have regular normal casinos that we're now permitted to have as a result of the budget agreements in Albany. We'll get into all of that later on. And obviously, Dominic Carter coming back starting at 12, uh, midnight to 1. He's the buffer between me and Frank now. So all the questions that I would ask Frank, you know, ask Frank whatever's on your mind uh, starting at 1, he's going to have to be the intermediary. But anyway, you don't want to miss it. Don't go to sleep. Don't be watching anything. Keep it locked right here on 77 AM WABC. And if you happen to fall asleep, sometimes it happens you get stung God. You can always catch it on the rebound. You go to the podcast, and whatever you missed, it's there. Listen, as if you were listening live. And now we got to talk about what's going on in the Ukraine. Because everybody has their own opinions. And a lot of people don't seem to understand the significance historically in Europe, especially East Europe. Part of my roots are East European, Polish, that's on my father's side. The other part is Bade's Italian on my mother's side, Francesca. But, you know, like the Poles, Easter, very important to the Poles. Very, very important. In fact, could I have uh, uh, board out? Could I have the Gregorian chant right now? Because, you know, the, the Poles and East Europeans uh, who happen to be Roman Catholic, uh, they've been going through uh, services from Good Friday, Good Saturday. They were cleaning up the house, uh, purging it of any flotsam or jetsam at all. And then going to church uh, earlier on Sunday. It's one thirty-five. It's right there on your pickup sheet there. Anyway, the point being is that polls will tell you that in 1600 there, right at the gates of the fort in Vienna, Austria, there was a valiant Polish general who held off the Turks. The Turks were actually digging underneath the fort digging underneath the fort and trying to come in and destroy the Polish army. Now, if they had been successful, the Turkish Muslim armies, we'd be bowing five times a day to Mecca and Medina. The Poles always like to tell this story. I think it was General Sobleski. And yet, 
there was a baker, a baker, a, ben, a bagel bender, a Jewish guy who was in the basement. He was making the bagels, and he heard the Turks digging their way under the fort. So he alerted the Polish king, and they waited there until a Turk had dug his way through, and then they just poured water into the hole where all the Turkish forces were, and they turned certain defeat and destruction into victory. I think that's what Zelensky is hoping for in Mariupol. But every ethnic group, every racial group, they always have dates that are so significant in their history. But let's face it, that's pretty damn significant. Or we'd all be bowing five times a day to Mecca and Medina, especially now during Ramadan. But let's put that aside. Because uh, most of the Ukraine is Eastern Orthodox. They're Jews. In fact, that area of Eastern uh, Eastern Ukraine that is an embattled area, Odessa. Odessa is right near the Crimea. I've had guardian angels in the uh, Odessa years ago. The beachfront community. It's like Brighton Beach. And a lot of Jews. In fact, before World War II, there were more Jews in Odessa, the third largest Jewish population in the world. First was New York City. Second was Warsaw, Poland. And third was Odessa. So right now, Odessa is like in this area where you have the Crimea on one side, which uh, the Russians took in 2014 from our president, Barack Obama, who did nothing about it. And then another area they call Donbass, which is in dispute. They've been fighting in that area since 2014, the Ukrainian army against the Russian separatists. And they left Odessa alone because Odessa is very prosperous. It's right. It's a port city. But nearby is Mariupol. And all we keep hearing about is Mariupol, Mariupol, Mariupol. It is under siege. The Russians have relentlessly bombed the hell out of Mariupol. Mariupol at one time had a population of 400,000 people. It's down to 100,000. That means uh, probably about 10,000 of their citizens were killed and close to 300,000 have fled. But 100,000 have hunkered down. And so for seven weeks, Putin has been fixated on Mariupol. Now, why Mariupol, even though he's been attacking other cities, there is a historically significant reason that Putin wants Mariupol. In fact, he wants Mariupol by Tuesday. Can anybody tell me why he wants to fly the Russian flag in all of Mariupol, make that by Wednesday. He'd like to do a Tuesday in advance, but Wednesday is a very significant date that he wants to be able to fly that flag. Oh, (laughs) see, you got to understand, you got to think the mind of the East European, not the West European of which many of us can trace our lineage to, But the East Europeans, everything is significant to dates. So here you have 400,000, a city of 400,000, with probably the largest steel mill in the world. Now, can you imagine a steel mill? I know many of you have been, as I've been, uh, when they were up and running in Pittsburgh, in Youngstown, in Warren, Ohio. My uncles worked in Gary, Indiana, in the U.S. steel plants, massive all along the river, obviously no longer. But probably many of you remember what the steel mills were like. There would be an orange haze over those cities because they had three ships. 
They were producing massive amount of uh, steel in the 60s, and then it began to wane in the 70s as so much of that steel production was done overseas. But right there in Mariupol is the world's largest steel mill, owned by the richest oligarch in the Ukraine, who's at odds with Zelensky. But more importantly, it's four square miles, this one steel mill. That's massive. So you're looking at all the rail, railroad ties. You're looking at all the blast furnaces. It's like a fortress in the city. And it's right near the water, right near the Sea of Azov, which the Russians desperately want access to so that they can choke off uh, any kind of supplies or anything else coming to the Ukrainians in the eastern Ukraine. And there is a reason that Vladimir Putin wants to crush all the resistance there by this Wednesday, April 20th. Why is that, ladies and gentlemen? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. The other reason is, uh, if you listen to Russian propaganda, which I always do, I watch RT, which is Russian TV, any chance I can get, because I want to hear their propaganda and match it versus Ukrainian propaganda and American propaganda and the European Union propaganda and NATO propaganda, and then come to my own conclusions. But if you've been following the Russians and Putin, he uses the term, we must crush the Nazis. We must crush the neo-fascists. And you say, what the hell is he talking about? Zelensky is a Jew. He's president of the Ukraine. Maybe he's thinking about back in World War II when there were a lot of neo-Nazis there. In fact, some of them became the most vicious guards in concentration camps for Adolf Hitler and for the Nazi regime. Well, let's face it. This is 2022. The king of all comedy who happened to be Jewish, became president of the Ukraine. Where democracy prevailed, they had an election. But in this town of Mariupol is the right-wing Azov Brigade. It's the Ukrainian National Guard. They wear swastikas. They are, Zelensky is not in complete control of them. They are right-wingers. I know we don't want to believe it. We say it's impossible. They are. And it's all part of their heritage. And they've attracted other far-right wingers to come and join their cause. There's about 400 foreigners. If you notice, they took two Brits out and they paraded them for Russian propaganda purposes to show, look, we have prisoners and like the Brits, if you all give up, you 2,000 Ukrainians of the Azov Brigade, you 400 mercenaries who have turned this into like the French Foreign Legion, if you all give up and put your hands up and you walk out, uh, you will be well-treated because, let's face it, they want to use it for propaganda purposes. They want to be able to show that so many of uh, these Ukrainian fighters are giving up to Vladimir Putin because he has crushed the rest of the city. He's flattened the city. He's obsessed with taking Mariupol. And as obsessed as he was before, when the Ukrainians took out their battleship, oh, remember when you were a kid? Think back when you were a kid. Remember, there was Milton Bradley's battleship. Just think, in the, in the eye of Putin, this battleship that the Ukrainians took out with rockets, they sunk it, sunk it right to the bottom of the sea. It may even have a nuclear payload, we're not sure. But it was firing cruise missiles on Kiev, on Liam. It is their most modern, sophisticated battleship. And again... 
there is a comparable period of history in which there was Adolf Hitler in the late 30s who personally designed his pride and joy, the battleship Bismarck. It was the biggest battleship up to that date, 35,000 tons. It was built in a shipyard in Hamburg. When I was in Hamburg, they don't really have it designated any longer, but the locals will say, that's where they built the Bismarck. To this day, some Germans' biggest most powerful battleship that ever existed. So they were the rulers of the sea. They said, we got to take out the Bismarck. And it wasn't difficult because, let's face it, it's not like Germany had a lot of ports uh, by the North Sea. So they wanted to protect their biggest asset, their biggest battleship. So all of a sudden, the Brits send out their pride and joy, their biggest battleship, the HMS Hood. It was the equivalent of the battleship Bismarck. And guess what? Bismarck sunk the uh, UK's finest. That's right, the HMS Hood. So the Brits went out like, I mean, this was like a Hitler propaganda thing. Like, we sunk their big battleship. So all the Brits did was get obsessed. So they picked a day in which they found out where they were hiding the Bismarck in open sea. They thought they were hiding it. And through aerial bombardments, torpedoes, they spent a full day unloading all their ordnance. And eventually they sunk the Bismarck. And then they had a field day with propaganda as all 2,000 uh, German soldiers went to Davy Jones's locker. But remember, when the Bismarck sunk the pride of the uh, British Navy, the HMS Hood, 1,400 British soldiers went to their death. Only three survived. I mean, those were times. I know my dad was a merchant seaman. He said, look. When you got torpedoed then, because he'd be going back and forth, he'd be making the Marantz run through uh, the northern sea up uh, to giving supplies to uh, Joe Stalin uh, that FDR and Churchill had agreed on because they realized they had to resupply Joe Stalin because he was doing the bulk of the fighting because Hitler was obsessed in taking Moscow. There are a lot of parallels here, not at the same level, but there are some parallels. So the Ukrainians took out. Uh, Putin's pride and joy, his big battleship. And now he doesn't care about the rest of the war. He just wants vengeance. And there is a reason that he wants them coming out with their hands up. The Ukrainian holdouts in that massive steel plant that they still have under control, which is like a fortress right on the shore of Mariupol. And remember, These are not normal Ukrainian army members. They are called the Ukrainian National Guard. It's really the Azov Brigade, a far-right-wing fascist group uh, that is in this eternal war against communists. They imagine everyone in front of them is a potential communist. Well, we know that Putin is not a communist, and we know that Zelensky is not a fascist, but they're living back in the World War II. They can't escape these images. And so I ask all of you, if you were Zelensky now and you realize that it's just a matter of days before the Russians take Mariupol, they can't hold out. I mean, there's no way to resupply these men and women, and there are women fighting in that uh, steel plant. There's no, you can't drop parachutes in four square miles. Do you communicate with them and say, give up? It's not worth losing your lives. Look, there are other battles all over here in the Ukraine. We have the upper hand against the Russians. I suggest you give up. 
Because you know Putin is just going to level the city. There's 100,000 more citizens that are hunkered down in their hovels. He's just going to level it like he did Graznia and Chechen when he just destroyed everyone. We didn't say anything because they were Islamist fascists, right? We didn't say anything. We didn't say anything about Aleppo. He used the same tactics. So would it behoove Zelensky to ask his troops there who are hunkered down to give up? so that they can live, maybe to fight another day in the future, or their sacrifice will go down in the annals and will exist as a motivation for other Ukrainians to fight until the last is to die. That's a tough choice. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Put yourself in Zelensky's shoes right now. What would you tell those troops to do? The 2,000 locals who are Ukrainians and the 400 mercenaries who've come there to help the Ukrainians, there's, there's no escape for them. There's no way out. They are completely surrounded. You know what Putin is going to do in the next two days, carpet bombing. I mean, he is going to obliterate that place. Do you tell them to give up so they can live and maybe fight for another day? Or do you tell them to go down with the ship, so to speak? like that Russian battleship, where they possibly lost 5,000 Russian seamen. Our number is one 800 And let's look at history. Look at our own comparisons. Remember the Alamo. Remember the Alamo. We lost the Alamo. Remember, we lost the battle. Uh, it was a series, I think about 200 people, if uh, memory serves me correctly. 200 people, some Americans were from uh, Texas that was declaring its independence from Mexico because it was part of Texas. I, I've been to the Alamo. It's a little disappointing when you go to the Alamo. You expect it, and it's, it's really not much. But you had some Europeans who came over and fought to preserve the Alamo. Yep, like mercenaries, like we're seeing here. And you had the uh, Tejanos, who are Mexicans, who believed in the cause of those in the Alamo only later on they would get turned on as being traitors and supportive of uh, Santa Ana. It actually played to the best interests of not only Sam Houston, who was fighting for an independent Texas state from Mexico, but also America that hoped at some point Texas would then join the Union, that everybody would be slaughtered at the Alamo. Because remember, to this day, remember the Alamo, remember the Alamo. Remember as kids, we saw James Bowie. No, not David Bowie, you schmuck. Not the guitarist, David Bowie. We're talking James Bowie, you know, Davy Crockett. Remember, they had a whole Disney series on that when we were kids. Walt Disney would say, now you're going to see what the Alamo was like, the two-week siege. And these were professionally trained Mexican troops of the emperor, Santa Ana. He was soon to become the emperor. And when they finally ousted Santa Ana from Mexico City, he declared himself emperor. Do you know where he went to seek sanctuary? Believe it or not, Staten Island. Nobody at that, no bridge. Nobody knew anybody was on Staten Island. He had a peg leg because he had lost a leg in battle, so he had a wooden leg. And he invented chiclets while he was out there. So all the kids at the border, Nuevo Laredo that I've seen there, Nuevo Laredo leading to Laredo in Texas, Juarez leading to El Paso in Texas, Tijuana leading to San Diego in California. The little kids and their mothers, they sell chiclets. And I said, wow, 
How ironic. That was invented by Santa Ana, who was trying to raise money to go back and reinstall himself, sort of like in a Napoleonic style from uh, the island of Elba, back to being emperor in Mexico. Problem is, he got stuck on Staten Island. He never left with his peg leg. But you know something? The chiclets you eat? Remember the Alamo. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But let's look at another period piece, because to this day, whenever I'm with the Greeks, especially the Greek, the Greek Orthodox, oh, they're so proud. It's Curtis. You're a fighting man. I say, yeah, yeah, yeah. You ever hear the 300 Spartans? You, ever, you saw the movie, right, Curtis? Oh, yeah. 300 Spartans in the past fought off. Thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of the Persian warriors who had been sent there by King Xerxes. Persia, you know, Iran, you know. Oh, my God. The Greeks are so proud that over the course of three days, 300 Spartans held off the Persians. Three days. And it became a rally cry for the Greeks because... All the Spartans were slaughtered, except for one who got away to be able to tell the story. And it drove the Persians out. It it became such a motivation. Athenians were always at odds with the Spartans. You know, you talk about groups that didn't get along. That was Greece. They'd be warring with one another all the time. But what brought them together was the Persians invading Greece again. And as a result of their loss at Thermopylae, all of a sudden... All the Greeks got together and repelled and kicked the Persians out. To this day, you go to Greece. Remember the 300 Spartans at Thermopylae. So would it behoove President Zelensky to have these 2,500 fighters slaughtered in that steel mill and not encourage them to give up? And then, oh, now coming through Pesach, how many times have I heard from proud Jews? He said, Everyone's proud about these situations. I actually visited over in the West Bank. Masada, the fortress, the mountain complex that had been built by Herod. It was supposed to be able to withstand any invasion of foreign enemies, Romans, others. And then all of a sudden, there was an attempt to oust the Romans from Jerusalem, oust them. From what we know now is Israel in both uh, what we call the uh, the great uh, battles that consume that area over the years. And then the Jews retreated to the hills of Masada. It was a fortress. I think there was like a thousand of them. I remember when I was up there, the Israeli guides were telling us meticulously how the Romans stormed it. Apparently, they cut off all supplies for like seven months. No water. They're in the desert. No food. So here are these thousand Hebrew warriors fending off these professionally trained centurions from Rome who have the siege tower. You've seen in the old movies, you know, where they're throwing the, the huge boulders, you know, to knock down the fortress. They have battering rams, and they keep attacking it every day, a little bit each day trying to breach the wall seven months, and the Hebrew warriors 
fought off the most trained professional army at that time that had been sent from Rome and naturally its own mercenaries, the Romans. It was the last stand for the Jews who had revolted against Rome. Now, they lost everybody, <laughs> slaughtered a thousand. But to this day, when you visit Israel or the West Bank, yeah, tough Jews, that's right. We didn't surrender, we didn't retreat. So you see, in this particular case, Zelensky could well use this if Mario Paul falls. And if every one of those soldiers and mercenaries supporting the Ukraine are slaughtered by the Russians, although Putin will parade the citizens back to Russia claiming he's humanitarian, you know, that he's going to give them a they give them a loaf of bread now and a bottle of water. That's all the Russians give the people a loaf of bread and a bottle of water somehow survive. Right. Hey, what about the Jews? They can't eat bread. It's Pesach, right? Well, what are they going to eat? But anyway, the point being is, nobody yet has guessed why Putin wants this all wrapped up by April 20th. And let me tell you something. It has nothing to do with Puff Puff Pass. Oh, National Marijuana Day. That's what 420 is. No, 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 no. There's another significant reason. And I'm surprised some of you, especially those of you who can trace your roots to East Europe, have not figured it out. one 800 Let's go to Sam in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Sam. Yeah, I don't really think that April 20th is the key, but I know what you're talking about. What am I talking about, Sam? Hitler's birthday. That's right. And doesn't the whole world sort of <gasps> gasp because they think white supremacists are going to come out, you know, a Beth Bath and Beyond with sheets on, and they're going to attack everybody that they see on Hitler's birthday. Right, Sam? No, because when has ever anything ever happened that day? Of course, of course, okay. But I'll tell you another thing. I think about two weeks ago, Zelensky said, I, I don't know if it was maybe about the other city, Mikolaev, but maybe it was about Mariupol, that if they surrendered or they gave, they don't have to keep on fighting. If they, Nobody would blame them if they, if they gave up. But there is a problem, of course, for anybody, any of them, that they could get killed if they try to surrender. Because the, well, I think Russia. this is what's going to happen is they will survive. They'll put their hands up, wave the white flag. All the Russian cameras will film it. It'll be a great coup, propaganda coup. But because most of them are part of that Azov brigade, the fascist brigade, they'll be slaughtered by Putin. You know that. Once they're out of sight, out of mind, they'll, they'll be slaughtered. The whole problem is I don't even know. How much of that is, the, what is the A's of Brigade? How much of it is the A's of Brigade? Uh, oh, in Mariupol, look, uh, the Russians are not lying about that part of it. I mean, they make it seem like everybody in the Ukraine is a fascist, uh, neo-Nazi. But you can make the argument that Azov Brigade in Mariupol definitely is. They wear swastikas, Sam. I just don't know. What? I Sam? Yeah, yeah, I heard about that. I've no, heard no, a little no, bit no. about that. This is what you have to do. Uh, trust, but verify. No, it's, 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 it's verify, but don't trust. Oh, case. okay. I like that. I like that. Except I don't trust anybody. I don't trust our government. I don't trust NATO. I don't trust Putin. I don't trust Zelensky. I know that part of war means you also want to win the propaganda war. And when Zelensky says we have no fascists in the Ukraine, that is a lie. 
because that unit there that's holding down Mariupol valiantly, I mean, look, against all odds, they're going to get slaughtered. There's no way they can escape. But their whole basis for existence is they're a right-wing fascist organization, the Azov Brigade. They wear swastikas, Sam. I know. Oh, oh it's, the, it's the truth. Now, does that mean all the other Ukrainian fighters are fascists? Of course not. But it would be like if all of a sudden you have National Guards, because that's what they consider themselves. They don't consider themselves regular army in the Ukraine. They're called the National Guard. Now, look, you have the National Guard from Alabama. You have the National Guard from New Mexico. You have the National Guard from United, uh, from New York. Luckily, they're pretty much all the same. But imagine if they reflected the politics of that particular state. Can you imagine the National Guard in Florida? How different it would be than the National Guard in New York. DeSantis as governor, with Holcomb as governor here. The National Guard is not a reflection in our country of the politics of the state uh, of which oversees those National Guard units. The Ukraine is different. So I know everybody just, they want it. It's all got to be the same way. No. Always question. Always say, what I'm being told, is it true is it bent to try to benefit one side or the other? Look, I don't trust Putin at all. He's a dictator. But he's not Hitler. He's not Stalin. Stop it already. Look at the historical significance. Everybody's saying by May 9th, he wants to be able to parade his Russian troops through Mariupol because it's the same day that he parades his troops through Red Square. It's an annual event to celebrate the victory of the Soviet Union against the Nazis. They lost 20 million people in World War II. 20 million people. I was there in Red Square. I saw one of their celebrations of those valiant warriors. 20 million who died at the hands of the Nazis. It is incomprehensible by us. Compare our losses in the Second World War on both fronts, both the uh, Atlanta front, uh, Atlantic Front against uh, Hitler's Nazis and their supporters, and then General Tojo and their supporters to the Empire of Japan, still does not compare to the losses that the Russians took, 20 million, against the Nazis in World War II. WABC. The founder of the Guardian Angels. The group dedicated to fight crime. On the streets of New York and on the air right now. Curtis Lewa on 77 WABC. Madre Filium Spiritum Santum. As you know, in a lot of the Christian faiths, there is the annual blessing of the animals where animals actually take center stage. Uh, Before the lockdown and pandemic, an annual event that Cindy Adams, our own Cindy Adams, columnist for the New York Post, would host right on uh, Park Avenue. I think it's a Unitarian church. I'm not quite sure. I don't often go to church. (laughs) I'm an A&P Catholic. Ashes on Wednesday, palms on Sunday. Then you don't see me for a month of Sundays. But we were invited because John and Margot Casamantidis sponsor the annual blessing of the animals there and the animal lovers. And Cardinal Dolan came and spent the whole afternoon blessing the animals who were lined up outside of the church with their families, their human families. 
The humans ended up fighting with one another, arguing, but there were llamas, there were dogs, there were cats, there were monkeys, there were pigs. And nobody pooped either. That was incredible. That was four hours. But people love their animals. And in our animal welfare update, coming up with my wife, uh, Nancy, uh, animal rescuer extraordinaire, the big story is out of the four and a half million Ukrainians that have fled their beloved cities, their beloved communities, they have fled with what little they have on their back and they fled with their pets. And some of them have made it all the way to Mexico City. They put together money. They've flown to Mexico City. They've taken buses up to the border at Nuevo Laredo. That's the Mexican side of Laredo on the Texas side of Juarez on the Mexican side, which is El Paso on the American side in Texas and Tijuana, which is on the Mexican side of the border with San Diego. And they have their pets, dogs and cats predominantly. And then being told they can't bring their dogs and cats over. Now, something has to be done about that. As refugees, they were accepted by Poland. They accepted most of the refugees, but also Hungary and Romania and Slovenia and other countries and Estonia. And they were permitted to bring their pets over, their dogs and cats. In fact, you can see some of them. They have the carry cases for their cats They were allowed to come over. They were allowed to put them on flights to Mexico City. The Mexicans themselves allowing them to come into their country knowing they were headed to the border. They didn't want to live in Mexico. That was not their final. They let them bring their pets in. But now they're at our border. They're queued up. Naturally, they're seeking asylum. And American authorities are not letting them bring their dogs and cats over. That's not right. Look. There are many things we could say about Joe Biden, right? Many things. And he may not even remember what we say about him. But he loves animals. They have dogs and they have cats. And they've been animal lovers for a long time, his wife Jill uh, and Joe Biden. So I don't even know if the president is aware of that. I'm hoping that my wife Nancy can give us an update on that because that is going to become our priority to make sure that these Ukrainian refugees were seeking to come to our country, and the president has said we'll take 100,000. I think we're going to have to increase that number. But they should be able to come across the border with their pets. We'll give you an update on that. But also, please, Maestro, I need more of the Gregorian chant because there's another aspect to this war that a lot of people have not paid attention to. It has to do with the Eastern Orthodox faith. You know, years and years ago, rightfully so, they broke from the Vatican because they said no person is infallible. They didn't believe in a pope. And I support them, even though I'm not uh, Eastern Orthodox. Uh, Their traditions uh, are a lot more in league with not uh, having idolatry for a human being, which we do in the Roman Catholic faith for the pope. So they broke. And they decided a long time ago that the representative and spiritual leader of Orthodox Christians worldwide who will be celebrating their Easter next Sunday should be the ecumenical patriarch in Constantinople in Turkey. Now, imagine he's the Greek Orthodox leader of the world's Orthodox Christians, and they're in Turkey surrounded by Erdogan, who is no friend of the Greek Orthodox Church. 
but they somehow survive against all odds. Now, Putin believes that he is the second coming of the Tsar and Tsarina. And he has reestablished the Russian Orthodox Church. He's not a communist. Trust me, he is not a communist any longer. He is an old-school Russian who believes in the Russian Orthodox Church. One of the reasons he's at war in the Ukraine is that he wanted all the Ukrainian Orthodox Christians to adhere to the patriarch in Moscow in the Onion Domes. I was in the church there, the Onion Domes, Red Square. Very disappointing, I might add. Even the tapestries, you know, they don't have statues like the Roman Catholics, you know, ostentation. Oh, my God. So disappointing, the Onion Domes in Moscow. But he wanted all of those in East Europe, the Serbians, the Romanians, especially the Ukrainians and their Orthodox Christians, to adhere to the patriarch of the Russian Orthodox Church, who is supposed to follow the dictates of the Greek patriarch who is in Constantinople. I know that's a little difficult to understand, but this all goes back historically the different chasms that have existed. And right now, Putin is in a time machine. He's thinking Tsarist Russia. He's not thinking Vladimir Lenin. By the way, it's Lenin's birthday is on Friday. Oh, yeah, I know. There'll be some. Not John Lennon. Look at, look at this crew here. Frank Morano's crew thinks, no, it's not John Lennon's birthday on Friday. I know you'll go to Strawberry Fields, you'll be dancing, it'll be summer solstice, you'll take your clothes off, you'll be smoking reefer, because it's now, you know, recreational marijuana is legal in New York. Not John Lennon, Vladimir Lennon. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm really getting frustrated here. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go if we can. Anthony, who's calling from Long Island, your turn to be heard here at WABC. Anthony. Hey, Curtis, how are you doing? Now, hold on a second, Anthony. I know there are a lot of other show hosts and hostesses. They give you slack. They're just welcome that anybody calls them. And they have a, how you doing? How you doing? No, how's your wife and kids? Oh, mine are pretty good. You end up spending like five minutes in conversation about people you don't even know. And then you get to your subject. Understand this, Anthony. There are the Robert Rules of Orders of calling the Curtis Leewood Show and all of its manifestations. Never ask me how I'm doing. Because I'm going to tell you if I have had better days. Don't thank me for taking your call, because I must have solicited 5,852 times all of you to call. There's only 1%, 1% of the total number of people who say they listen to talk radio have ever called a talk radio program. That is who discraziata. More people need to call, because more people need to be heard. And don't ever call up and say, hey, first-time caller, long-time listener, oofa. Kabish, Kabish, Anthony. Kabish, Kabish. Okay, Kabish, all right. Uh, let's get back to Ukraine. Um, do you think if Trump was in office, this war would have happened? Never. Never would have happened. And I'll tell you why. Never, right? Because he had a relationship with Putin. He understand Putin, and Putin understood Trump. Putin does not respect Biden whatsoever. He never respected uh uh, Barack Obama. That's why he came in and he he took the the Crimea and said, "What are you going to do about it?" And uh, Obama blinked. Uh, so you know, Putin respects strength. 
Correct. Trump exuded strength. He understood what Putin was about. They had worked together in Syria. So they had a relationship. Joe Biden, wow. Uh, he's been invited by Zelensky to come to Kiev. Uh, almost every uh, leader, right? even Boris Johnson with his crazy hair, Anthony, went to Kiev. Joe Biden hasn't said our president whether he'll go. He should go. He should go. Correct. But now, do, do, do you believe this uh, thing that Putin saved 35,000 kids that were trafficking? No, no, no. I look, there is so much propaganda out there, Anthony. You know, look, they're in a war. I understand it. They want to malign one another. They want to attribute one another to be drug dealers, child traffickers, sex traffickers. There's some of that going on. There's no doubt. When you see all the women, because remember, technically, men of fighting age must stay back in the Ukraine. They will not let them flee. So they're on the trains or the buses. They're going to the borders of Poland, Hungary, Romania, Slovenia. Uh, they're not permitted to leave. Uh, so there are a lot of women out there. And, yes, there are sex traffickers on the other side in Hungary and Romania and Poland and Slovenia and other parts who are trying to take advantage of them. But it's not government orchestrated at all. It's not like Zelensky's doing it on the side to earn some currency or that Putin's encouraging it. That's just part of the oldest vice in the world, prostitution that existed long before this world ever discovered Zelensky as the king of all comedy in the Ukraine or Vladimir Putin as the KGB agent right. for the Stasi in East Germany. Right. Okay, okay. What is this, cross-examination? He wants to ask me a million questions. We got all these callers here. And Anthony thinks he's going to hog up all the talk time. Nope. It's not going to happen. Anyway, let's go to Victor, who's calling uh, from uh, Westchester. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Victor. Wow, Steve. Uh, all he's got to do, this guy, is just identify himself as Steve in Manhattan. Uh, he can be a good caller. He's been calling talk radio since the days of the king of talk radio, Bob Grant, when I first broke into radio. I had conversations with him on the radio. Now I don't know what it is. He's like Sybil. He's like multiple personalities. You know, he thinks like, but then he never gets on. <laughs> it's like he knocks himself out. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Steve. Uh, in the Irish Riviera, Pearl River in Rockland County, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Steve. Curtis, long time no speak. Yes. Um, How hey, are where, you? Where, where were you? No, no. Well, I've, I've been around Curtis. You know, you got to... You know when I'm in, when I'm in the queue, you got to you know you got to hit the button, babe. So how is the uh, man who has seen better days? Yeah, every day for me, I, I've had I'm better just, days. You know, you know. I'm listen, Curtis. There's nothing strong about a bully. You know it. I know it. And Putin is Hitler and Stalin in a business suit. And the idea that you think that Trump had. He had a relationship. I'll tell you, he had a relationship. He owed him. He owed him. I mean, look, and this is the anniversary, okay? I can remember, I think it was three Easter Sundays ago, where, that, where Giuliani went on Meet the Press and said, yeah, we used the Russians to cheat, so what? And ruined my Easter Sunday, all right? What? He ruined your Easter My kumbani cheats, Rudy Giuliani? No, oh, please. There, there's a, that's another thing. You know, you should be careful who you call a Gumbada Cheech. All right. You know, because a cowardly insurrectionist 
All right. You know, you could tell people it's trial by combat, but then you can't go and hide. Okay. Then you can't go and hide in a hotel somewhere. If you use that kind of language, I know, Steve, you can't run it, away, I, Giuliani. I, you I, can't I, run, run away, Rudy. No, no, no. I've, I've been sitting down with Rudy. We've been counting petitions, signature petitions for his son, Andrew, to qualify to run for the Republican uh, Oh, my nomination. God. Oh, Andrew, the angry golfer? <laughs> Had a very shiny nose. You know, they lost that lawsuit, too. <laughs> Andrew, the angry golfer. Oh, my God. He's still a loony kazoony, Steve. Notice he didn't once talk about the Ukraine. Didn't once talk about Zelensky and Putin. You know, he's obsessed with January 6th, obsessed with Michael Wadichich, Rudy, and Andrew. I thought he was talked about Andrew, you know, who was the butt of the jokes, remember, on Saturday Night Live? Remember there in the stands uh, of Yankee Stadium? Anyway, let's go to Bert, who has called me on a regular basis as I host the other, other side of midnight, which is Saturdays, uh, 12 midnight to 6 in the morning and Sundays, Bert, uh, you're in uh, Liev in the Ukraine. Is that true? Yeah, I'm here in Lviv. Hey there, Curtis. Yeah, I, I got a. I'm on a trying to keep a regular um, sleeping hour since I've been listening to you again. Um, but um, yeah, I heard you talking about um, Ukraine just now um, and the Azov um, battalion. Um, I know you touched on it a few weeks ago, and you were asking an opinion about it. I kind of took it as a general kind of question about. Um, nationalism and white supremacy but i hear you talking more about it now and mariupol let me tell you the um, i've i've asked people around here soldiers um normal um, regular civilians this this group the azov you know they have a a past yes like uh, many people many groups have um uh, shaky um, origins and they do and when you mentioned the swastika, they have this symbol, yeah, that many people hate. Well, if not all, including myself. But they've gone, they, they've evolved. And right now, they, they seem mostly, really, primarily as a as a group of fighters here in Ukraine that just hate Russia. That's why they're in Mariupol. When they're, they're there defending Ukrainians, Muslims, Jewish people. And that's the, the, the way most people want to see him as as um fighters soldiers that hate russians even back when um like i said it has a history um yeah well in- Bert, there's no doubt they have that history but imagine right now Zelensky uh, is a, in a, a bit of a quandary because they're hunkered down in that steel mill which is four square miles it's like a fortress there's two thousand yeah. of them and there's like four hundred uh Europeans who have joined them. So figure about 2,500. The Russians, as you know, Putin wants to crush them. Uh, Should Zelensky tell them, look, give up, you're just going to get slaughtered uh, so that the 100,000 who remain in Mariupol, because it's a city of force, can somehow get back to some kind of a normalcy, because right now they're hunkered down too. Or should he just let them fight to the last man and last woman? You know what? Even if he asked them, it's highly doubtful they would. You know, this is going back to um, back in uh, 2014. Um, civilians just took up took up arms when they had the revolution here. Even if he, the president asked them to um, give up, you got to come. We want to save your lives. They 
most likely would not. They're gonna stay there and they they they're, um and just just would fight. So uh, I wouldn't see that happening. I think Putin rather um, level the place even more so than he has already. It's uh like he's been doing through that whole um, area because he wants that land bridged. So again, uh, if Zelensky asked them, oh, please, we we don't want you to get slaughtered enough. I, I really doubt they would. All right, no, no, that's a, that's a valid point. Now you're the furthest west, so you're close to Poland. You're close to where a lot of the refugees are go- uh, going. Has the the stream of refugees slowed down, uh, or is it just a nonstop uh, sort of uh, way for women, the children, the elderly, the infirm to leave their beloved Ukraine? They, uh, I, I, I see them every day. Um, there, uh, a couple of weeks ago, was probably more, more, more so than there is today. But I see mostly um, because it's even hard. A lot of people want to come to um, the western part, especially Lviv, the area here, um, because it's calmer, I guess you can say. Um, but they're starting to move out into the the outskirts of Lviv and closer to Poland, staying in Ukraine. But I'm getting closer to Poland. But you still see the this, this steady stream. Like every every really every day, I see the people um, on the streets with their their roller bags. You know, um, trying to get a a train the train out or um, the buses out. So that that remains steady. Uh, like you said, um, a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, it was more so. It was more like a panic. And it's a few days ago there was um, reports of um, um, strikes around here. Um, Near Lviv. Um, do you, uh, so, Bert? Do you have enough food, uh, enough of the basic uh, elements, uh, so that people can survive this ordeal where you are? Well, right now I see. Uh, sometimes when you go into the markets, you'll see some the, the shelves that are depleted. Um, but um, it seems you get these spurts of um, uh, the shelves of being full. And then you you go in some days and there's not uh, so much bread or so much cheese or so much uh, chicken or meats. Well, um, now, so- uh, Bert, as as an American who grew up in Fairfield County in Connecticut, married a Ukrainian woman, you chose to stay there. You could have left. Uh, you chose to stay there. What is it that we need to know? Because we're, we're, we're getting bombed with a lot of footage. We don't really know much about Ukrainian history or East European history yeah. whatsoever. You know, it's typical of America. What would you say as an American that we need to know from an American's point of view who actually lives there, who has family there? Well, the thing is, a lot of people in the U.S. and, and many countries have um, relatives or have a um, um, background of um, Ukrainian, even Russian backgrounds, um, Polish, like, like yourself, um, and even myself and my family have people from Poland. So everybody has... Um, some kind of um, feelings about this area, and they should learn more about it. If it's reading about it or watching more news about it, they should because it, it is affecting a lot of people. Because um, a lot of countries are involved, and in one way or another, it's affecting everybody. In the now, world. now, Bert, should our president, who's been extended an invitation by President Zelensky, come to Kiev and show solidarity, as Boris Johnson of the UK has, as other members of the European have, as other members of NATO have? Uh, you know, um, of course, it would symbolically look great. Would he be able to do it? I mean, um, 
and we, um, people talk about his um, his abilities, his physical abilities, his cognitive abilities. So it, it would be nice to see that, at least in the surrounding um, countries. But um, would he really be able to do it? Um, that's that's another question. Um, I heard some people talk about uh, on your show, even about Trump. Um, it, this would never have happened. And this thought came to mind um, hearing to your show. If Trump, you know, what he may have, biggest accomplishment may have been him being in office was that he delayed Putin's actions up to now that Putin's cognitive abilities may have diminished ah. and may be causing. So that's, uh, I, I thought about that. So he, he he did something good in respect to Russia and Putin. Well, that, no, 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 Bert, Bert, that is very cognitive, uh, cognitive of you, coaching of you. Uh, but Bert, for all of you listening, he calls me regularly on the weekends and the overnights uh, when I'm on the other, other side of midnight uh, as opposed to Frank during the week. Uh, and he's uh, originally from Fairfield County, Connecticut. He went, he married a Ukrainian woman. He decided to stay there, Liev, which is closest to the Polish border, the western part of the uh, Ukraine. And as you can see, uh, he tries to give us clarity in these very troubled times. Over the course of human history, there's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind. St. Francis of Assisi, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals. And Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, here's Curtis Lewa. Wow. Nancy, are you there? Yes, I'm here. You still didn't make the cut. They still won't let you come on Noah's Ark. <laughs> That's all right. No worries. I'm fine. As, as long as you're on the Ark, I'm okay. Wow. They won't let you be Mrs. Noah yet. Yeah. I, apparently, I haven't paid my, my ticket. Orders to headquarters, would we let the voice of WABC, Chris Libertini, know that if I had to carry this segment by myself, Noah's Ark would be down in the bottom of the Black Sea like that battleship of Vladimir Putin's. Oh, my God. But anyway, Nancy, a lot of news taking place involving all kinds of animals. This is the Animal Welfare Hour which has the most number of callers. Feel free to call in now, 1-800-848-9222. The most response, even after the show, than any of the other 20 hours that I do on the weekends in which ABC uh, becomes the acronym, Always Broadcasting Curtis. But let's start with the really big story. We just spoke uh, to our friend who's in Liev in uh, Ukraine, right near the western border with Poland. And he described the number of Ukrainian refugees who are leaving, mostly women, children, the elderly, the infirm. And they're bringing their pets, their dogs and their cats. They go through Poland, no problem. They're able to bring their pets through Romania, Slovenia, uh, it doesn't matter, Hungary. Uh, Some of them are able to uh, get an air flight to Mexico City. Uh, no problem getting through uh, air traffic control, uh, the TSA uh, for those countries, for the European Union countries. No problem landing in Mexico City. 
They then transport themselves and their pets on a bus, and they go up to uh, border entries because they're seeking sanctuary into the United States, knowing that President Joe Biden has said, we'll take 100,000 refugees. We'll probably have to take more. And they have their pets there. And all of a sudden, American authorities are telling them at Nuevo Laredo, which is on the Mexican side of Laredo, the Texas side, uh, are telling them in Juarez, which is on the Mexican side of El Paso, the Texas side, are telling them in Tijuana on the Mexican side of San Diego that you can't bring your pets across the border. After they brought their pets, which are like their family members with them, thousands of thousands of miles to escape war. Yeah, I mean, and this is all these different layers of how um, animals are treated, whether it's like uh, countries or cities, states, municipalities, whatever. So for some reason, um, these animals who were able to make it over, um, you know, across the ocean, now the reason they're they're being held up is because there's no clear indication that they have um, rabies vaccinations. Now, the rabies vaccination, I mean, this this to me is something that I think is something that's really long overdue to be revisited, this issue, because this is one of the only things that has to happen with every animal who comes out of the uh, New York City shelter system. They have to be given uh, rabies vaccination. Now, the amount of cases of uh, rabies infected animals is so slight it's something that's like a weird carryover it's almost like jaywalking in new york city it's something that just no longer exists so there's no reason to think that rabies is really an issue with animals um, incoming and then the the other element of it is if these people are coming with their owners and clearly they're in whatever location they're at that's sort of the equivalent amount of time that you would need to have to, uh, you know, test the animal for rabies and diagnose them if you thought that was even an issue, which it literally is like almost non-existent, you know, rabies transmissions. But, I mean, since you know where the people are and they're clearly in a, you know, a certain area, you don't have to worry about the animals getting out. So I don't really think it should be this big issue. Now, it's incredible as these hundreds of Ukrainians who are massed at our southern border with Mexico uh, are being told you can't come across with your pets. They're choosing not to leave their pets behind in Mexico. They're choosing to stay with their pets. Not one of them has discarded their pet on the Mexican side because they're just a few hundred feet away from freedom away from maybe joining family members, having a better future, a better career, and they will not abandon their cats or dogs. They will not. Yet another reason to uh, prioritize the importance that animals have in people's lives because by not acknowledging this, you're actually keeping, for example, uh, you know, women who won't leave battered situations because they can't go to a shelter without their animal. If there's a person who can't move into a new home because they're not pet friendly. So this thing needs to really be brought to the forefront. If you're forcing people to leave their animals behind and in spite of that, they're doing it. I think that should be a clue to everyone who's in any you know decision making position 
it's really time to prioritize this issue because people are willing to stake their lives on it. So, I mean, they're really missing the ball on this. Uh, Next week, same time, same place. Can you give us an update on that? Because uh, this is really, I mean, what a stand these Ukrainian refugees are taking is that we will not leave our pets behind here on the Mexican border. It's either you bring our family member, our pet with us, or we'll wait here until something's done about that. Well, I mean, again, and it's true. It's like this, you know, speaks to the issue that people uh, do view their pets as their family. Like, I can't envision any situation where, you know, we would have to compromise our pets. I I mean, I would be, you know, just hanging on to every pet no matter what, no matter what I would have to do. These people have actually gone through so much, and they're still willing to do it, like, if you if you as like official people can't figure out how to make that happen, and again, like I said, in terms of the particular thing they're trying to call out right now with the rabies, anytime um, we actually had um, a Wolverine who was a, a cat that we adopted that was on a hold because of a, a rabies vaccination, like a you know question mark because unknown origin. So the only thing was that this cat had to be quarantined for six months. So, again, the whole point is if these people who are being, you know, like sort of a seeking uh, refuge and they're going to be in some sort of a safe quarter by themselves, the only thing you have to uh, mandate is to say, okay, well, whatever quarter that you're in, okay, you're with your pet and your pet's with you and you're in the same room. Like, that's it. Like, there's really nothing more you need to do because that's the same exact thing that anyone else has to do when they adopt a pet and it's like, you know, potentially, you know, a rabies, a question mark, even though it's so completely minimal, it's like not even a big risk. So, again, if you know where these people are going, I'm not sure why you're super worried about a rabies vaccination, honestly. Well, we, the Guardian Angels Animal Protection Division that you lead, Nancy, will stay right on it, try to do the best that we can to help these Ukrainian refugees who are being told they can't bring their pets across uh, the border into the United States from Mexico. But on the same note, another international dilemma in a city of 25 million people. Now think of it. Shanghai, an old style city in red China, 25 million people, three times our population. We have about 8 million, three times our population. The city is in complete lockdown by red communist authorities. You can't even go out of your house And what they have done is they have seized people's pets. Can you explain that? So, um, I mean, at this point, the the policy they have is uh, it's it's almost like a zero tolerance policy. I mean, again, it's mind boggling uh, to me, I'm sure, to anyone else living here. Uh, It's just so illogical, whatever they're doing. But basically, it's like because the city seems to be like the epicenter of uh, where the coronavirus uh, cases are spiking. Everyone's in lockdown. So what's happening is anyone where if there's like a a positive diagnosis for COVID, for instance, in a a residential complex, everyone is being required to uh, transition themselves like, you know, against their will in many cases, it seems, into these uh, sort of – I don't even know what you would call them, the camps, you know, healthcare centers. I'm not really even sure what you'd call them. 
but the pets are being left behind, uh, you know, just because they have to be left behind. And as a result, it's like the uh, the city officials are coming by. They're actually gathering all of uh, the pets that are left behind, and they're basically euthanizing them in pretty um, horrific sort of ways, sadly. Um, again, it's like this, I mean, this weird zero tolerance policy they have with people when they're in these this areas where maybe there's a, a little slight uptick of infections. 25 million in lockdown. We've seen the video pictures. The pets are stuffed into these bags and left on the side of the street to be taken away. Sometimes as many as six or seven dogs or 20 cats in these uh, sort of uh, see-through bags. You know, you can actually, they're mesh bags. And and they all know they're going to die. And they just linger there forever waiting to be picked up. They're, they're crying out, they're meowing, they're barking, and and no one can come help them. You're not permitted to leave your house, your apartment building. You're subject to being shot. It's just, and we see the suffering of these pets, and you say, oh, my God, what kind of a society is this? You know, I mean, and, and again, right, so, I mean, it, it pulls on my heartstrings, obviously. I think anyone who cares about animals, I mean, it, 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 the only thing is, uh, obviously, knowing as much as you do about this stuff, you know, you kind of just hope that their misery ends, you know, sooner rather than later. Like, that's that's the really sad part about it. But one of the um, interesting stories that has come out of this uh, lockdown situation in Shanghai was, you know, these people in the situations where they're in these complexes, they're locked down, and, you know, fortunately they have, like, shortages of uh, food and, uh, you know, different sort of uh, normal items that you would have in the household because they don't have that sort of a service going on. And so there was this one resident who uh, actually, because uh, he has a cat with him, actually, you know, because now people are into bartering. It's like, oh, if you have... Uh, a beverage or you have a food or you have fruit or you have vegetables and so people are making trades in that sense so this one uh, resident in Shanghai he actually had uh, bartered some playtime with a cat he has believe it or not called orange so you know for someone who was willing to trade off like uh, three oranges to him so he traded off like a half hour of playtime with his kitten and then, you know, again, they're talking about the story. Obviously, it's stuff that I think is really tough for us to envision. But, you know, he says living alone in a lockdown situation for as long as he has now, like he credits this kitten with, um, you know, psychologically keeping his mental health in state because, you know, without the kitten, he would be all by himself. So it's like, again, it's just a very different world for different, you know, people living in different areas. So, you know, put stuff into perspective. It's our Animal Welfare Hour here at WABC featuring uh, Nancy Sliwa. Uh, She is an animal rescuer and she runs our Guardian Angel Animal Protection Division. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. On a happy note, though, we noticed that there was a celebration for a gorilla who made it to 65 years old 
they held a party for him. Can you explain that? Because I thought the gorillas didn't live that long, maybe like into their, their late 30s or maybe even early 40s. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, so this gorilla uh, is in a, a, a zoo like in Berlin. Um, and, uh, you know, I think in uh, what they said is sort of a, when they're living in that sort of environment, it's like I think this uh, gorilla has – it's like a – uh, lowland, western lowland gorilla, and it's believed to be the oldest uh, gorilla in captivity. So, you know, I mean, and, you know, the story of how this gorilla got to the Berlin Zoo, and it's like, you know, the, but basically this gorilla got there when it was about two years old, but it's been there the whole time, um, you know, its entire existence. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I guess, it, I, right, obviously in a sense it's uh uh good story like a happy birthday type story obviously i'd rather um them not have to be in sort of a zoo type of enclosure but you know at the same time so this is you know the oldest gorilla in existence and you know their behaviors they're very you know much like people again this is why they're consistently um you know unfortunately utilized in testing uh, for medical purposes, because there's such a similarity with us, but they're, you know, the, it, it, this particular uh, breed of gorilla, right? They're not like territorial in their behavior, but they tend to be in groups. You know, they have like, um, you know, a group that, you know, after they grow up a little bit, you know, they have like a, a circle they run with the rest of their life. So, um, you know, unfortunately, this gorilla has been by itself for a long time, but, you know, the level of cognition and, I mean, it's it's. I mean, literally as close as people as you can imagine. I mean, this type of gorilla in general. So it's like they know words. They know. I mean, they interact on that level. I mean, again, that level of cognition is just over the top. It's like probably the the closest to humans you could imagine. Well, you know, it's incredible. When I was organizing Guardian Angels in Berlin in the early '90s, uh, they have an area that's similar to Central Park, even larger. And I remember going through the zoo there and looking at the animals, the way they housed them and they, they treated them. And in my opinion, that's my opinion, even uh, looking at the Bronx Zoo, uh, which is given credit for giving uh, some of the animals a lot of space, they really managed the space well. And it may well be, since they've only had one gorilla in captivity, it probably was the same gorilla I was looking at. And guess what? I'm three years older than him. <laughs> okay, yeah, so maybe ne- next year you-, you guys should celebrate a birthday together. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I love Berlin. I mean, Berlin is like a city that was just skyrocketing in growth when I was there. Uh, you saw the cranes everywhere. They were in a building boom, and people from all across Europe were moving there. But they had, yeah, and you know what? What's interesting with with this particular gorilla, it said that it, it actually arrived to the Berlin Zoo in 1959, and that a sailor had used the gorilla to pay his tab at a a tavern in France, and then a, a year after that, she was sold to the, uh, you know, the 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 zoo in Germany. So again, it's like to be two years old and taken out of your natural environment. And again, who knows how, you know, people, you know, come about trying to grab these animals from the wild. But, you know, two years old is, you know, this gorilla's whole life has been 
with humans. So unfortunately, it has to grow up in a, a oh, unusual yeah. situation. Oh, yeah. But you know, if you were to release that gorilla hypothetically into the streets of Berlin, because now it's one <laughs> Berlin, not East Berlin, West Berlin, like when I was there. Uh, you that gorilla is smart enough to take the U-Bahn and the S-Bahn on their own. That's the subway system there. One is above ground, one is below ground. They have that much intelligence that if you show them one time, you actually show the gorilla how to take the U-Bahn or the S-Bahn one time, they'd know how to take it, they'd never get lost, and who the hell is going to act up in a subway car in Berlin when you see this huge 800-pound gorilla there? You know how many videos I've seen with um, uh, young gorillas, like, you know, little infant gorillas? They're smart enough to realize that sometimes they pair them up with, you know, other animals, you know, like dogs or cats, you know, puppies, kittens, and they'll be bottle feeding them and taking care of them. Like, they're smart enough to realize, like, oh, this is a baby animal. I need to take care of it. It's like their level of cognition is really you know, it needs to be recognized. It's They're just, you know, the same as us. Now, there are many of our listeners who have spent a lifetime traveling to areas where they can swim with the dolphins, down in Florida, uh, in other ports of call, along South America and Central America, the Caribbean, the West Indies. They'll do anything to swim with the dolphins. And again, the dolphins exhibit human-like characteristics but there is a story about a dolphin attacking the trainer during a show at a uh, aquarium, a seaquarium, I guess in the Miami area. Now, we, we've seen this happen with the killer whales, Chamu and some of the other killer whales at SeaWorld. Is this situation similar to that? I mean, well, yeah, I mean, again, I, I think they're all a little bit different, right? But uh, this situation, so it's like the Miami seaquarium. So now, actually, it's interesting because I've actually um, studied dolphins before. I'm like, uh, that's one of my uh, really go-to animals I've always been interested in since I've been a young person. And their personality is completely docile. And it, you know, really bucks the trend that this sort of story came out that the dolphin would be attacking a trainer. But... I mean, now I think this really speaks volumes in terms of the way that this animal is being housed. So I started looking into other stories about this particular place. And, um, you know, apparently this place, Miami Seaquarium, this isn't the first time that they've had, uh, you know, a violation cited against them and stuff like that. So these animals are living in extremely small environments and, uh, you know, they have like, you know, the big thing that w- with this particular place, it was like a, an orca whale that's been swimming around in like a little tiny pool. So I think even the most docile personality, you know, it's like, you know, nature versus nurture. It's like by nature, dolphins are super sweet and docile. But if they grow up and their entire life is in a sequarium that's, you know, not really fulfilling their actual needs, yeah, maybe eventually they are going to just lash out at whoever their caretakers are because they're not being cared for appropriately. Their environment isn't what it should be. So, you know, and this place has been, uh, you know, trying to be closed down for, you know, at least over a decade by a lot of animal rights people. And I've seen the responses from the city officials, you know, the standard, oh, we'll look into it, we'll do a, 
you know, put together a team, we'll research, we'll get back to you. It's like, I mean, you don't need to do that much research to realize that they're not really uh, providing the most ideal situation for these animals. So again, you know, I think about what is really the whole goalpost with a lot of these places. I mean, they don't want to lose the animals because I think they think, oh, the animals are, uh, you know, the the drawing to the public. That's how we're going to make our money. But if if these places are required to start uh, engaging uh, themselves with rescue facilities, now people could equally visit the zoo and see, oh, here's what's going on. So the, the zoos could be more of rescue facilities. So when you're seeing an animal, it's not, oh, they're in captivity for their entire life. It's like you're seeing someone who's been a rescue and then you're going to hold them until they get a little better and then until they go to a place where it's more natural. I think that's the end goal. You know, it's not like the zoos are horrible organizations altogether. It's just they have a place. It's just not to hold these animals forever. So I think that is actually the sweet spot transition. Well, we talked about the human-like characteristics of the gorilla. I've seen that myself. I have not seen this, but dolphins, you know, it's almost a sign of the times we're talking about what gender are you, male, female, are you a transgender, are you a uh, someone in transition, do you identify as a woman even though you're anatomically a male? Dolphins can be polyamorous. They can be male, female, and have two partners for sexual reasons simultaneously. Dolphins. Yeah, yeah, so so clearly they far exceed us as humans. (laughs) Good for them. I wonder if they have problems debating this uh, amongst their own little uh, flock uh, as they go from place to place. As long as they're living in the ocean, they can can scurry away from that that question. Oh, my God. They're polyamorous. 1-800-848-9222. WABC. The Curtis Lewa Show presents Curtis's Ark. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, here's Curtis Lewa. Wow, you still haven't made the uh, cut there, Nancy, as Mrs. Noah. Yeah, that's okay. I'm fine with that. No worries. Ah, well, Chris uh, Libertini, the voice here, we're going to have to straighten him out. Anyway, it's time to go to the phones. Before Dominic joins us for the last few minutes of this show, he's now the buffer between me and Frank Morano. And since I don't get to talk to Frank any longer, Nancy, <laughs> I have to use Dominic as the intermediary. Can you okay, believe this? Yeah, so so he's, a, he's a great mediator. That's good to know. Yeah, well, wait. Wait till you hear the questions that I pop off at Dominic, who then has to carry them to Frank, who's back on from one to five for the next five days. Anyway. Yeah, yeah we'll give Dom a break. Let's go to the phones. It's uh, Joyce, who's calling from Rockland County. Welcome to the Animal Welfare Hour here at WABC, Joyce. Oh, hi, Mike Curtis. Love you so much. And Nancy for helping all these precious animals. My point uh, to the screener was, you know, they won't let these precious animals come through the border. I guess it's the Border Control, uh, border Patrol or the... Um, I don't know what they're called, actually, the Border Patrol or whatever. The thing is that they're letting all these illegal aliens over with all kinds of diseases and whatnot, but they won't let precious animals come over in a in a crate or in a carrier? I don't get it. 
Yeah, no, uh, Joyce, it defies logic. You are so right. Uh, illegal alien can come across the border. You know, only 30% of Ukrainians are vaccinated. Only 30%. So there's been a spread of COVID-19 throughout Europe, the countries that they've sought uh, refugee status in. Those countries understand that's part of the process of accepting them as refugees. And yet they're worried about possibly a dog or a cat having rabies. It is such an outrage, Joyce, such an outrage. It is so ridiculous, Carter. And also I want to mention something that you said before. You said you you know that uh, Biden loves animals. You know he doesn't, and I'll tell you how I know. Well, hold on a second. We spend (laughs) a lot of time picking on Joe Biden, and rightfully so. But come on. We do know that he's grown up with animals. He loves animals. Wow, they don't even want to give him slack on that, Nancy. Sheesh. Well, I mean, I, I'm not sure if you, I mean, growing up with animals versus loving them, I'm not sure how you make that analogy, but, I mean, I can't say that for sure. Well, look, there's so many reasons to pick on our president, Joe Biden. No, 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 you're right, you're right. It's just, I mean, I can't say I can definitively ascribe to him that he does love him. I can't say that. Anyway, let's go to Willie, who's calling uh, from Southern Boulevard. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour here at WABC, Willie. Can you rent a gorilla from the Bronx Zoo? Can you rent a gorilla from the Bronx Zoo? How ridiculous a question is that? Let's go to Ann in Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ann. Hi, Curtis. Uh, First, I want to say that um, because I really want to talk with Nancy, but I have to tell you this, Curtis. I love history. I look so forward to when you talk about the past compared to the present. It's fantastic. Thank you so much for that part of your show. Well, thank you. And remember, look, history repeats itself. You just have to be aware of what's happened before so that we don't make the same mistakes again. Thank you, Ann. Exactly. Uh, This whole thing about the Ukraines not being allowed to take in their pets, and I don't understand this at all because this is a big pet peeve with me. And, Nancy, from the bottom of my heart, I love what you do with rescue. Thank you. There are people that are not as honest and really caring as you. We have in this country, excuse my voice, uh, 1.6 million dogs a year are brought into this country from China, Egypt, Mexico, South Korea, Thailand, Puerto Rico. It goes on and on and on. These dogs are brought in from the streets, put into our shelters. And a lot of the all-breed rescue groups, I'm not saying all of them, But many of them, they're tax exempt. They bring in these animals. A lot of them do not have really valid health certificates. They're allowed to come in. They fill our shelters. And then what happens is the breeders, the responsible breeders, are laws passed against them. And they're blamed for filling up our shelters. But these people, meantime, are making money off the backs of these dogs. I well, know now, now, I know, and, and uh, I know Nancy has dealt with this subject matter. I, I certainly am uh, not aware of it. Uh, Nancy, can you enlighten us on what Ann was talking about? Well, I me, mean, yeah. So, in terms of, I mean, obviously, this is why uh, you know, if you're someone who's interested in animal welfare and you are going to be involved with uh, organizations and groups. You can do a little bit of, uh, you know, research on your own. A lot of this stuff is available 
um, you know, on online, you can figure stuff out. But, you know, there's stuff you need to just figure out on your own, right? There's groups that can adopt animals and whether or not they can place them. But, you know, you can, like I said, you can actually do your research or figure out, you know, what groups are, are doing such. So it's like a question of looking at uh, how many animals do they adopt in. You, you, I mean, I think the best place to ever go for is like the, um, you know, the financial stuff. You look at what they're doing. If you have, and this is why I say, for instance, with the uh, uh, animal care and control that's in position of the animal shelters in New York City, the reason why, unfortunately, you know, all these people are appointed by, uh, politicians, and they're doing such a poor job, and they haven't prioritized no-kill shelters, which is really what's so important. What they can do is, since the taxpayers are paying the bill for the city shelters, what they can do is have efficient people who are actually working within the, the shelter system so you can tap into the people who are doing it on a nonprofit side, and they have no budget, and they're able to save and rescue and adopt out so many more animals. These are the people who should be in charge of the city shelter system, and that's what you need to do. You need to take out this like weird appointment of these uh, politicians where they're you know appointing these people, and you need to put into that position you know, groups and nonprofits, animal rescues, who actually have a track record where they're not taking any salary and they've been able to be 10 times more successful than the city shelter system. You know, interesting, uh, our owner-operator, Red Apple Media, our parent company, John Katsimatidis, great talk show host in his own right. Uh, when he ran for mayor in 2013, he was the first to have a major platform about no-kill shelters, the first one. And it was your brother who actually brought that to our attention, who was researching and said, wow, you should have the no-kill shelters, which we believed in anyway. But it was really uh, John Katsimatidis who pioneered with this concept back in 2013. So it's something we have to continue to push forward, no matter what your politics, what your ideological beliefs. There's no reason to be killing dogs and cats and other animals in our city shelters here and in New York. Another great thing that John brought up, too, was also the same way that you prioritize, uh, you know, food shortages for people. If people are pet owners, you should be acknowledging the fact that they need pet food. So you include that in the mix of whatever type of assistance you're giving. This way, people don't ha have to relinquish their pets to the shelter. So it's like that's a, that's a big, huge concept to acknowledge that fact. Let's go to Barbara and Weehawken. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour of WABC, Barb. Thank you, Sweetwell. Listen, I found a pigeon who's got a broken wing. I have him comfortable. I took him, I took him up in my apartment. And is it good to be put, bring him into the apartment? What can I do to make him comfortable? He's got a broken wing. And and where are you located at? Like I'm located in Weehawken. Vicinity. I'm not too far from here. Right over the river, 10 minutes from the river, from okay. New York. Yeah, because I, I know that um, uh, in the Upper West Side, they have, like, one of the places, uh, you know, near us, they have, like, a, a, a bird sanctuary where if you bring a, a you know, a pigeon there, because obviously it's, like, a, a different than bringing, like, a, a cat or a dog in. So if you were concerned about that, 
you could always bring the the pigeon here. It's like so they, they you know they take care of it. But you're right. It's like it's. I mean, I'm, I don't have a direct experience with that. But anytime I've had a bird, I bring them into like the facility, like uh, like around the block from me. Well, you know what we should do, Camilla Phone Screen. If you could get the information of Barbara and Weehawken. And uh, then, Nancy, I'll have you communicate with Barbara so we can try to help this pigeon out. That's the other big question. You know, you find a a pigeon in the street. Some people refer to them as rat pigeons or rats with uh, wings. Uh, So there are a lot of people who just don't like uh, what we call these street pigeons. You and I, we differ. Obviously, Barbara differs. Uh, But I know there are a lot of places that take care of birds that will not take a street pigeon, isn't that correct? You know, and this is what, again, this is what, you know, um, normal, it's like supply and demand. This is what the United States is built upon. The fact that in New York City, the number one bird that exists is pigeons. But for some reason, if people stumble across them, I know here it's in New Jersey, but it's like, you know, if you come across a bird that's pretty much a a bird that lives in the community and you're not sure where to bring it like it's tough enough as a pet owner because you realize oh there's a bill and and this and that but it's like well shouldn't you be acknowledging the fact that these are you know the wildlife that lives in our you know our environment and then what do I do if I find them so there should be you know some accommodations made for that and it, it should, I mean, it's not anything that needs to be created out of nowhere. It's, I mean, it's not growing organically. It's like this is an actual need that exists. There's a lot of people who call into 311 in New York City, and there's nowhere for them to send the callers to because there's no, you know, agency within New York City. But that's the problem. There's a lot of things that people reach out for which is so very basic, like there should be a lot more organizations. Like we happen to live around the block from a place that, um, you know, does help, um, uh, you know, avian wildlife, but it's one of the only ones in the five boroughs. But there's way more that need to be in existence. So why aren't we not financing these places when we could, realizing there's a need out there. So, again, hopefully this really should lead to a push in acknowledging the need that exists. I mean, you want to, you know, give people jobs. Well, give them jobs that are important and jobs that there's actually lacking. Now, I see that there are a number of studies that are taking place in terms of feeding dogs, cats, and other animals plant-based Pet food? Is this true? Yeah, so so some of the, the studies, it's like a vegan-based uh, diets for dogs. So, I mean, there's been a little bit of a, a conversation in terms of uh, is it healthy to uh, feed? I mean, a- again, same, same thing like with children, right, with animals, uh, pets. Oh, vegan-based diet. So there's clearly been a lot of uh, backlash against, uh, you know, having a plant-based diet, for instance, for animals. And now this, you know, studies coming out recently where it's like, oh, no, that's a healthier uh, sort of diet for dogs. 
So, I mean, again, and it, and it does make sense. It, it is a, I mean, it's healthier for people. It's healthier for animals. I mean, clearly anything that's, I mean, I mean, you just have to be very logical about it. If you're buying something that's a, like a process-based food, obviously it's not as healthy as if it was, you know, natural or organic or, you know, like, you know, anything like that. So it's not to say that everything is, you know, if you have it, you know, from, you know, a company, but then you need to supplement it. But, again, it's just acknowledging that stuff. But there's been a lot of a bias against uh, feeding pets organically and, oh, they're not getting everything they need, but now it's turning out, oh, well, some of the studies are coming back that the animals are healthier in this way. So, I mean, anyone who has a pet, obviously that's so super important. Like, you love your pets. They're part of your household. You don't want to, I mean, sadly you can't ask them what's going on, so you have to just, you know, rely on the fact that maybe you bring them to, you know, for yearly checkups and you get some feedback on them. But, you know, you want to do the best you can for them. So, you know, you want to get the best information you can. Like, what is it that I can do to make them have the healthiest lifestyle they can have? So it's important to get that information on an honest level. Like, you know, I, you know, you don't want to be, you know, sort of sidestepped by other information. You just want to know, like, what do they need? Like, what are they lacking? So I think the animal health stuff is really coming to the forefront, and people are, you know, getting more on board with their animal health because they realize as they get older, there's a lot of other things that are down the line. That, well, you know, you know uh, just the other day, Nancy, I had a conversation with our news uh, guy, Bob Brown. Uh, he had been listening to me talk about Dash dog food. He hadn't heard that in a month of Sundays. He's originally from Brooklyn, too. And I remember uh, Dash dog food used to get four for a dollar. They were on the bottom shelf at the supermarket, low budget. When you'd open up that can, my God, you wanted to put an oxygen mask on. It was a horrible smell. Alpo was considered like top grade. And you wouldn't want to even give Alpo to your, your dog if uh, it was a member of your household. But they have uh, foods now for pets at all different levels that almost rival the kind of foods that humans would eat. Is that correct? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay, exactly. Totally correct, right? So it's like, I mean, I got obviously the same thing like with people. You know, if you, you eat something, you're filled up, you don't think about it. So no one's really thinking about the nutrition on the front end when they have something. Oh, they like it. It tastes good. I think a lot of these um, pet foods, you know, it's like the same sort of uh, idea. You know, the pets are eating it. So, oh, now their bellies are filled up. So they're not complaining because, you know, they don't want to eat anymore. But that's not to say they have the nutrition they need. So you do want to keep on top of it because, again, I think – this really goes hand-in-hand uh, hand with why people, uh, you know, as the animals get older, uh, you know, it, I, obviously if if everyone has a, a bank account where they can just take care of them, whatever, it's like it's no big deal, but most people, they can't really do that. If all of a sudden you're hearing something's going on with your pet, you might be like, okay, I have to relinquish it. I can't afford to take care of it, but it's, 
you know, you need to be more mindful of it. And again, maybe people being more mindful of their pet's health would even keep them in line with, oh, maybe this is why I should well, be in more in line with my health. It's right. like there's a lot of stuff that's very preventative. Well, uh, on that note, uh, up next, uh, I'm going to be talking to Dominic Carter, the buffer between me and Frank Morano, who, if you remember last week, very confused man, had a, has a male cat that he's named Beyonce. The cat is white, and he calls the cat Beyonce. I mean... That's really screwy. I'll try to get into that up next. But if anybody would like through the rest of the week before you reappear again on an animal welfare segment, same time, same place next week, or you can catch this on the podcast at WABCradio.com. How can anybody get in touch with you on animal-related subject matters? Well, you can go to guardianangels.org, uh, you know, to just uh – like just to learn any more about the organization, but if you want to reach out to me directly, uh, Nancy at guardianangels.org. And uh, up next, another great animal welfare segment, Nancy, but I got to help this confused guy, Dominic Connor. Imagine he's got a cat, it's a male, anatomical, anatomically, it's a male cat, it's not. Uh, in transition, it doesn't identify as a female cat, except he calls the cat Beyonce, and it's a white cat. Now, tell me that that's not a confused cat. With no, a, I mean, why can't Beyonce be any? <laughs> like, I, I'm telling you, uh, Dominic, he gets tongue-tied trying to explain this. But he's going to have to be the courier because I have a series of questions for Frank Morano, who comes on at 1 o'clock. His first segment, you know, you get to ask Frank anything except if it's me. So he's going to have to be the courier here at WABC. WABC. The Curtis Lewa Show presents Curtis's Ark. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, here's Curtis Lewa. Yep. 134, 134. I want my 76 trombones. Music man. See, anything to protect Frank Morano. He wasted like two minutes there. Because he knows, he knows that these are going to be tough questions that I ask you to relate to Frank. You you recognize this song, uh, Dominic Carter? Where is it from? The music man, right? I don't know where it's from, but I recognize it. Yeah, 76 trombones. You know, Hugh Jackman is up there in Broadway. Do you know what the story of Hugh Jackman playing the music man is? No. Well, he plays Harold Hill, although in reference to uh, Frank Morano, he could be Henry Hill. Member of Goodfellas, Henry Hill. You get it? The, the center he likes to be. Yeah. yeah, one right over yeah. your head there, <laughs> But anyway, the whole story of the music, man, is this guy goes from town to town, Harold Hill, and he's con man. He scams people out of their money because he says, I'm going to create a band. I'm going to create a band. Well, Frank Morano did such a good job shilling for the Atlantic City Gaming uh, Commission that represents nine casino hotels uh, in terms of uh, filibustering. Us getting those same kind of casinos in New York City, you know, full, all-out board games, none of these casinos, that they gave him a three-day extravaganza, all expenses paid at the Borgata. 
They provided an au pair for Carmine so that he and Rachel could go out and shoot craps, his favorite game. Really? And then they gave him an opportunity to teach other people who were shooting dice. The Frank Morano way. Listen to his advice to some of the dice shooters, the crap shooters in Atlantic City at the Borgata over the weekend. Uh, and there's a lot of sexual innuendo and craps, as you might imagine, as there is in gambling in general. That's why the stigma of a male virgin, you know, you know it's okay for guys uh, to have sex as much as they want. But it's not okay for females to have sex as much as they want before they're married. So the stigma of a male virgin extends to craps, too. That's why a, a guy, a man, that has never played craps before is considered bad luck. Now, you notice how we took that right from the conference that he was the MC at about shooting craps. And he had all these suckers. I mean these uh, loose. I mean these um, players at the Borgata that he was trying to convince to actually roll more times craps. I want you to hear him teaching them how to lose their money. Come on, come on, come on. Five, five, seven. Come on, five. Seven. Crapped out. Okay. So now I've lost another $60. This is frighteningly realistic. Okay. He's teaching them how to lose money. Dominic Carter, it used to be where I got a chance to speak to Frank before you, you were off on Sundays going into Mondays. And then all of a sudden he asked that you be the barrier so he wouldn't have to he wouldn't have to deal with my inquisition of him on these subjects. He's telling people to lose money. And he's comparing it to some psychosexual uh, episode shooting craps. Could you ask him about that, Dominic Carter? <laughs> So, uh, what is it exactly that you want me okay, to ask? Okay, very him? simply. Can you take notes on this? Okay, go ahead. What does sex have to do with craps? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't get that. Part. And why was he teaching seminars? If you know, could I hear that again? Uh, he's teaching people how to lose money. Come on, come on, come on. Five, five, seven. Come on, five, seven. Crapped out. Okay, so now I've lost. Another $60. This is frighteningly realistic. Okay. Now, the sound quality isn't the best because he had no idea that we were taping him at his seminar in the Borgata over the weekend, in which it was an all-expense-paid extravaganza for him, Rachel, and the au pair was taking care of Carmine in the penthouse suite that they were given. And then, you know, people there who know Frank Morano because he's now world famous because of The Other Side of Midnight. You know, he's been nominated for the Marconi Award, top interviewer, you know, because of his recent interviews with Roger Stone, back-to-back, uh, -back, belly to belly. Uh, and now they ask him what everybody asks him. How old are you, Frank? I'll let people keep continue to debate about my age. That's something society will never know. Now... Dominic, you have been one of the best journalists, busting your shoes, asking the tough questions. Yes. You've been doing that for like three decades. Yes. None better. Uh, when you come at somebody with a microphone, they know, wow, I got to answer the question. I can't wiggle my way out of this. This is an un Can I hear Frank's response to anybody asking about his age again, please? 
I'll let people keep, continue to debate about my age. That's something society will never know. You got to pop the question to him. You got to do research. You got to be the gumshoe reporter you've always been. He's going to try to dodge you. You know, this mm. is like another Bertha issue involving really? Trump and President Barack Obama. Wow. This involves all of our listeners. Mm-hmm. And Frank, because he won't be pinned down as to how old he really is. Okay, but wait a minute here. When you walk out of this studio, yes. you are going to have to pass past Frank Morano. So why can't you guys mano a mano talk to each other? Because he won't answer those questions from me. I, look, I'm not a journalist. He knows you. You are relentless. He'll he'll try to bamboozle you, and you'll do the big dive, the deep dig, and finally bring to surface a question that has permeated talk radio for quite some time. How old is Frank Morano? People don't know. Mm. People don't know. <laughs> People don't know. <laughs> Will you do that? Uh, Folks may have heard the door in which Frank walked into the studio and uh, threw a couple of items just now. Because he doesn't want people to know. You got to get that. Nobody was better at digging up the bones and letting everybody know about somebody than you, Dominic. Hey, man. I love you, man. No, I don't go that way. I love you, man. Please. No. And I love if, you, bro. If, God forbid, I have a medical Brother emergency, Brother do, not, do not give me mouth-to-mouth I'm resuscitation. To Let me die in peace. <laughs>